0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? We don't have time for that. Um, We've got a long
1: episode ahead of us. Uh, The listener, I guess, already knows how long it is because they can see it on their Mm -hmm. Zoom or whatever. Um, But uh, first, I want to uh, uh, shout out our our friend Peter sent us more postcards. He sent us a four-part series of postcards postcards from McMenamin's. Olympic club in the hotel pub brewery and Olympic club in Centralia, Washington. That's Miniman. Right. Yeah. Not cause you and I have a not, friend whose last name yeah. is McManaman. Yeah. Different spelling. Yes. Um, but, uh, like I said, it's a four part thing, um, that I'm not going to, we're not going to, um, uh, let's see uh, question about editing. Show. I was watching Braveheart with my dad. Uh, his, uh, during a battle scene, a guy gets an ax to the head and one of the squibs spatters, fake blood all over the place, including directly under the camera. Uh, in 1995, that thing is uncommon. Uh, my father thought this must've been a mistake on the part of the director and editor. Surely they have done another take or at least cut the film uh, half a second earlier to avoid the splatter effect, I assure it must have been a deliberate choice by the filmmakers, evidenced by its existence in so many movies since then. What do you guys think of the whole fight scene, blood splatter, and the camera phenomenon? I think it gets sometimes a nice jolting nice effect. Other times it feels showy and annoying. Yeah, I am uh, I think I'm with you, Peter. It's uh, Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. My guess, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Braveheart. My guess is that it was not... It actually wasn't intentional in Braveheart, right. but it was intentionally left in.
0: Yes, that would, I, like, that would be an assumption. Ha-
1: in the moment, it, yeah, in the moment it happened on an accident, and then in the editing room, Mel Gibson liked it, um, yeah. or decided the shot was was worth it. And it's probably because of things like that that it became something that now happens deliberately. Um, I think the, the one I, I always mean, think of uh, um, the the most is in uh, Children of Men. That's, there's yeah. one um, that. Uh Afonso is very like very good at like because it's such a long shot. At a certain at a certain point the splatter is not there any- anymore. Right. Without a cut. He finds a I've I've watched the movie with that in mind and like looked and been like, aha, I saw it go away. Yeah. But it's done in a way that you have to be
0: looking for it to really notice the splatter go away, which is uh clever. Although when the splatter is there, it it in that one, for as you know, like there's a lot of great in children and men, but for whatever reason, like the, the two big long takes just bother me in that movie. And, and it's that, stuff like that, like, like that, like even having something on the lens there, that seemed showy to me. Whereas something like Braveheart, maybe because, uh, and maybe it wasn't, maybe, maybe it was an accident in children and men. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff blown up around, uh, around there, but, uh, but with, um, but with Braveheart, I think just because like, there's just so much mud and blood and just everything like that. It mm-hmm. just, it feels like maybe that's the situation is with children and men, when that moment happens, I feel like I am objectively gliding along and watching everything. Whereas when you're, whereas those battles in Braveheart, and I don't love Braveheart, but those battles are certainly kinetic and you're right there in the middle of it. So like the idea of you getting splattered on, you being the camera it feels right i mean that feels a little bit Mm -hmm. that actually pulls me more into it whereas here it's just like whereas like in in children of men like i i already feel it a remove and then doing that feels like i don't know it just Mm -hmm. it feels unearned a little bit to me
1: i think that's a very valid uh complaint about the just about long takes in in general that i think on paper on the surface the idea is the opposite of what you're talking about the idea is to be more immersive yeah. but it, it often has the opposite effect i, I, I feel like maybe if i because i haven't seen children of men since since it was new um since i saw it in the theater um at the arc light um uh, which we'll get to in a second but mm-hmm. um um i i um but uh maybe if i watched it now it would have the the same effect i mean the way that those sh- shots in gravity and in the revenant have sure. the same effect you're talking about they feel they feel distancing um uh rather than than uh I- I- immersive um so yeah uh i mentioned the arc light uh r.i.p arc
0: light cinemas um, yeah uh obviously there are are conspiracy theorists out there uh I know know that uh, among others, the movie geek, Mark Hoyk um, suggested that this is a a bit of a bargaining technique that the parent company is essentially saying like, no, we'll shut them down. And incidentally, good luck finding uh, someone to fill that space, Uh, like being willing to shut down like it could be seen as as uh, a ploy against like the landlords for these theaters. Um, But. That, hope, you know what i hope he's right <laughs> i know i'm crossing my fingers that that's the case because yeah it just feel like you know i never quite had the emotional connection to the arc light that some people did you worked there um i worked yeah and so and well, all,
1: all the arc lights are closing down but i feel like generally in los angeles when someone says the arc light they mean the hollywood one because that's yeah. the original one yeah but um they're all closing down
0: yeah, and there's one that's in Sherman Oaks. I I, I would go to that one quite a bit, and that's I,
1: the last darklet I went to. I saw the gentleman.
0: <laughs> oh boy! All right, well,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it was my
0: last darklet experience with the <laughs> that's gentleman. Un- that's really unfortunate. Um, I think I think my last... The
1: last time I was in a lift. By the w- by the way, oh, uh, I don't know if you remember. My car was in the shop, and we recorded a Patreon or something in your place, and I was like, we were like done. And I was like, I, I got time to make that afternoon showing of the gentleman. And I took a lift <laughs> from your house right. to ArcLight uh, Sherman Oaks. So my last lift, my last last ArcLight experience.
0: But Jen- my, my last ArcLight experience was seeing a, uh, uh, it was a critic screening actually on my birthday, 2020 uh, with Jen. And uh, we went to see the Invisible Man. And uh, so, pretty good, pretty good experience. But yeah, I do hope. Good last one to have. I do really hope that uh, that if even if that's not true, there are there are people that suggest that like maybe someone will kind of whether it be a company or an individual will like swoop in and buy them all and buy the debt and just keep them open and just run it. You know, I, I recognize that it's different than like than Tarantino buying the New Beverly. That's one theater. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is a whole, this is a whole chain. Um, but yeah, it does make me sad. Like between that and then I know there's a bigger deal for me than for you, but like the, the theater up in Evanston, uh, just North of Chicago, like that one, like was a huge part of my life and, uh, my relationship with, with Jen. And, uh, and it's really sad that like so many of these theaters, uh, have, have, uh, closed down. I will say, As a function of my uh, adjunct instructorship uh, at College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita, we were invited to just come and and see the new Lemley Theater a few days before it opened for the first time. Lemley, much to my surprise, is not merely doing well. Uh, It's doing well enough to open a new theater when so many other theaters are closing. And where's that one opening? That's in Santa Clarita. Sorry, uh, uh, New Hall. Um, but in that, in that area. And uh, it's a really nice theater. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I am, I am sad about the Arclight. I do have a lot of fond memories there. And one of them being by the way, that like, uh, when I was first discovering podcasting as a concept in 2006, I would listen to Never Not Funny with Jimmy, Mike, and Matt, and they would always talk about going to the Arclight. And I was just like, I gotta try, I gotta check out this theater that everyone's talking about. That's,
1: so, yeah. So that's where I first met Jimmy Parta when I was working at the Arclight. I, yeah. I, uh, went up and introduced myself, uh, to him, um, there were more on than I realized. Cause I was like, Oh, I think I've been to everyone except for the quote unquote beach cities one, but there was also one in La Jolla that I didn't know about.
0: Oh, I didn't know that one either,
1: but i have been to obviously the original. Yeah. Uh, and there's Sherman Oaks, uh, Pasadena, Culver city, Santa Monica.
0: Yeah. And there's, I think there's one in Chicago as well. Uh, they were like branching out, oh. I guess. Yeah.
1: Oh, Oh, I didn't even realize that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope you're right. I have a lot of uh, good memories. I didn't, I, I was talking to my wife, but I was like trying to remember the first movie that I saw at the Arclight. And I realized that I lived in Angeles, in not only in Los Angeles, but in Hollywood for a while before I went to the Arclight because yeah. it's expensive. <laughs> and it was I expensive. was broke when I first moved here. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure the first movie that I saw at the Arclight um, was Lady in the Water.
0: Um, that's uh Those are some some rough bookends for the ArcLight for you. Yeah, the last
1: movie I saw at the ArcLight Hollywood was like a boss. That was a press screening. Um, wow. Uh, but yeah, I saw lots of things there, including yeah. uh, Children of Men, which was still when I started working there in early 2007 was still. Uh, in the theater, that's how I, uh, yeah. I saw it. Um, uh, yeah, so I, that's when I, re- I really obviously started going to the light a lot when I worked there for a few months because I got in for free, although I was working there, you know, February, March and April, not exactly the, <laughs> you know, the yeah. highlight of the release uh, calendar, but saw the host. Multiple
0: so, times. Yeah, I think I saw it with you one time, and yeah. then you and I saw Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz uh, yeah, came out then. Uh, the Lookout we saw there.
1: Yeah, The Lookout. I saw uh, I saw Breach while Breach came out yeah. while I was there zodiac came out while, while i was there um blood diamond came out while i worked there what else um pride the movie not the more recent british movie sure. pride but the movie where um terrence howard coaches swimming, swimming
0: movie that's the one yeah
1: i think you got started for 10 i think you got me that, and
0: jen last, <laughs> last mimsy that's right. right i think i think you got me and Jen in to see Letters from Iwo Jima, or you might've seen it with us. I don't remember. Oh
1: yeah. I did. I, I did see it there. Um, yeah, that was another one of those 2006 ones that was still in yeah. the theater when I started. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember what else I, uh, I wish I could think of, uh, ev- everything that I, that I saw there. Um, oh, well, uh, I had another one on the tip of my tongue and I forget. Seraphim falls. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I saw, Oh, this uh, is fun. Pursuit, pursuit of happiness misspelled happiness the will smith uh, got it
0: thing. okay i was a little bit iffy until you said that i didn't know which one you yeah. were talking about um okay. all right um, yes well, r.i.p I, I, i'm very i'm very sad
1: and i hope it comes back obviously and we even talked about the cinerama dome which um <laughs> yeah. is i'm obviously the la history like preservation architecture part of me is like yes i hope this the, the cinerama dome uh sticks around um it's been a long time since I've seen a movie in the Cinerama Dome because I don't really like. Uh, I never really liked seeing movies in the Cinerama Dome. It's not uh, really that conducive to seeing non Cinerama movies, uh, unfortunately. I, I never. The
0: last I saw, oh. I never went to the Cinerama Dome. And I guess. I think the last movie I, I saw will. in the
1: Dome was Prometheus. So that's almost a decade ago. Yeah. But I just kind of gave up on I saw Disturbia in the Dome. Um, okay. That'd be a good one. Yeah. I introduced, yeah. You know, I was a greeter at the Arclight for like a week before I quit that job. Um, uh, and I, uh, so I, uh, people don't know the Arclight that people come out and tell you like, Hey, you're here to see this movie. It's this long. Here's who's in it. Here's who directed it. Uh, and then they say some things about some take care of business. And I did that for about a week. And uh, I know I, I greeted uh hot fuzz. Um, and I remember that uh, Jeremy Piffin was in the audience. Um, and then the other, like the biggest, uh, sort of indignity was that I introduced the movie year of the dog, the Mike White fil- film, year of the dog, which I was a PA on and was in the yes. credits for, I, I did not include that bit because I wasn't right. super proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I had spent a few months working uh, at a theater after working on movies, but, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. What, uh, what is here is, I want to tell you about tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great tyler and i use them each and every day of our lives today uh, as i've been doing a lot uh, lately tyler i was listening to dmx rip uh dmx um uh i i think uh i'm not like a super deep like hip-hop person so i'm uh i I always get a little uh nervous about like wading into waters but i really loved dmx and i especially really loved uh it's dark and hell is hot which is maybe um not only one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time maybe one of the greatest hip-hop debut albums there's there's ever been um and uh yeah yeah, uh, he died at only 50 years old uh uh, rest in peace check out his music um re the chris walk mo- chris rock movie top five where dmx makes a very funny appearance as himself um and uh also use tweaked audio.com <laughs> um, uh, they're available at a low low price at tweaked um but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at
0: Squeezed.com.
1: Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? We don't have any time to waste. Uh, We've got a lot of movies to talk about today. It's our annual. We're doing it way later than we usually do, but that's because we always peg it to the Oscars. It's our annual countdown of the previous year of our favorite movies, but we don't start with our favorite movies. We start as always with our least favorite movie. And, um, well, I'm trying to think ahead. I know you've seen my number one movie of the year. Have I seen your number one movie of the year? Yes. Okay. Well then in that case, I'll just start with, uh, what I can, what I think is the worst movie of, 2020 and that is going to be david ayers the tax collector uh which is that again? Which, see that oh my god that's very funny shia labeouf is in it that's the uh, one shia LaBeouf yes. famously got an entire chess piece tattoo right for real like for realsies in real life uh to play this character in this uh just uh dumb as a as a rock um Uh, afterthought of a, of, of a movie. Um, uh, It's uh, uh, David Ayer has, I I mean, I'm not a big David Ayer fan, but like he wrote training day. There are things I liked about fury up until it's a very dumb, like third act. Um, There's he's contributed some interesting things to, to cinema. Uh, The tax collector has almost nothing of interest uh in it his um uh his obsession with chicano culture that we've seen in his other movies um is really taken to the uh embarrassing uh extreme here um uh, and but there are no training day is a movie that it's a crime story and it has surprises because it's a it has like a mystery element or right. it has like twists and and turns the tax collector is just a movie that it, it's that the dumbest like high school boy who's like you know what kind of cool like gangster like modern day gangster movie i'm gonna write it's just like it's just everything he would put in the movie that there's no surprises everything that they say happen is going to happen then happens and happens in the dumbest uh bloodiest like sort of faux profound like uh uh, way uh, imaginable uh shia labeouf i mean it feels especially problematic saying this now given the things that i've caught about him uh since but he's amazing as always uh, yeah. and uh, I, I, I like i said i i um i obviously can't uh, condone some of the things he's credibly accused of by multiple women but um uh, uh i've always enjoyed his presence and his presence here is 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 no different the the he he's the only thing in the movie that feels uh, alive um but it's a shame that it's in service of uh, a complete waste of time. Don't, don't watch the tax collector.
0: All right. So obviously before I get started with any of this, uh, you know, I, I, all day long, I've actually been in, in a bit of a mood um, because so obviously I'm a dad now and have been for over six months and 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 so I haven't been able to see as many movies. In fact, I've seen about half the number that I usually do um, for, for any given year. And anytime I am angry at myself for that uh, you always say like, well, you have not merely a child, you have two children. And I say, yes, yes, you got me there. Uh, But you know, if I, if I may be a bit uh, transparent about my, uh, my uh, insecurities and why wouldn't I be, uh, I, I naturally assume that if someone is taking the time to tune into this, that they have a certain, uh, expectation of both of us. Like I already feel bad enough that I don't watch as many movies as you do, even in a year when I have nothing else to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like my first thought is that I guess I don't have a very high, uh, very high opinion not even opinion just i just don't really trust our listeners because my first thought was like there you go uh my first thought is uh, like when when i started to realize that like i'm not seeing as much as i normally would my and and then like i announced on the show like hey uh, i'm a dad now my the first thing i thought was that like the the listeners would be like oh great okay so now one half of the show is absolutely going to be really incomplete and inconsistent and uh so yeah it's so all of this is what's going on in my mind going into like this episode underlines it more so than any movie journal or anything like that and i need to try to get over this but it's really it's really tough Here's
1: what I'll say about that. I think um, it's right of you to make that disclaimer, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's any reason for you to feel bad about it. Because, uh, A, because you've, obviously there are more important things. Yeah. But also, I don't think that... Because from the beginning, when we started the show, when we were both broke, we weren't seeing a lot of movies <laughs> yeah, in, in general. <laughs> that I, I feel like people come to... Uh, this show not to get an overview of everything that's going on in movies right now, but because they like the way that you and I think and talk about movies, whether you've seen one or a hundred, it's still, you're still bringing yourself to it. And I think, I I think maybe I'm being more charitable than you uh, toward the listener, but I think that's what people are tuning in for. Not, uh n- they're not like bird watchers with a checklist
0: right you're making a lot of sense uh in- inevitably like when somebody points this out. They're like, you realize that you are just really undercutting <laughs> thousands of people who have tuned in consistently. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it really just, it's, it's just the imposter sy- uh, syndrome, like latching onto whatever it can to, uh, to, you know, beef itself up a little bit. So like, you know, when we get to, for example, as I was going along, it's like, holy shit, man, like between a top 10, five honorable mentions not to mention the uh between the what is it between the cracks is that through what we call cracks. it through the cracks pardon me through the cracks. uh so between so that's 20 movies right there and it's like oh geez okay so what do i think is like underrated you know or overrated at this point like what have i not talked about uh and so uh now don't give it so all that is to say that as we move along, uh, certainly the movies that I love, I genuinely love, but it's it'll be those ones in the middle that feel a little okay. bit strange. What I will say is that my least favorite movie of 2020, I think if I'd seen five times as many uh, <laughs> as I did, I think that this movie, which when I first talked about it in the movie journal, I thought like, yeah, okay, whatever but it has stayed with me as such a waste. Uh, And it was, it's six, nine, the saga of Danny Hernandez. It's a documentary. Uh, And it, I feel like I am occasionally hard on documentaries uh, and I'm not sure exactly why. I guess it just comes down to, it's like, hey, if you're going to do this, if you're essentially going to set yourself up as a journalist of some kind, which document uh, documentarians, I kind of associate them more with that. Um, and if you are going to, and and often, if you're going to get the access that you are, that you are being allowed, you better do something with it. And this is a movie. So the story is, so, a. uh, uh, Takashi six, nine, uh, Danny Hernandez was like this, this YouTuber who was just like a, uh, big troll and he became a rapper. He got involved in gangs. He ratted people out, like, you know, the rape allegations, all kinds of stuff. Okay. All before he was like 25. And so there is, despite him being a fairly odious person, uh, there is a there is interesting stuff here and there's the opportunity especially because this is a guy who got famous purely as a function of the internet purely as a function of trolling on the internet and just knowing how the internet works youtube especially so it's like okay you can use the opportunity to like really delve into that or you can talk about how that maybe 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 uh delve into like this kid happens to be of a certain age when internet fame is for any reason, you know, uh, sorry, internet infamy is indistinguishable from internet fame. And so he pursued whatever he could get. So like, there are all, there are so many avenues you could go down. You could delve into like the, the, frankly, the psychology of this kid. Um, not that that necessarily excuses his behavior, but there are so many things you can do instead of simply here's this here's this stuff that is that happened all stuff that you can research easily on wikipedia and the more i think of it the more it's the the film feels like he just wanted to get it done before anyone else got there mm. uh, you, do you know what i mean where it's just like yeah there's gonna be a movie about this kid it might be narrative it might be documentary whatever it is so i better get this it's like it's like uh you know in, a, in its own way it's like that roger corman fantastic four it's like we're gonna make a movie not because we really want to but because we don't want we, contractually we can't let the rights slip away from us we have to make this movie and it feels like he made this as as like a placeholder just until maybe he could do something more with it or it could or he could say he he got he crossed the finish line first. Um, That's what it feels like to me. It just feels so perfunctory, even though he so often has access to the people involved. And it's just such a, it's just such a, and not to mention by the way, that towards the end, he starts to inject himself in there, not necessarily as a character, but like as a narrator starting to talk about like, well, maybe am I, am I any difference? Like shut the fuck up, man. Like nobody is watching this for you or the lessons that you're learning at least not this tacked on bullshit that you have at the end like if you want it to be about that then let it be about that the whole time but it doesn't or allow it to be like you're engaging with this material you're engaging with this process and you're changing all the way through but it never feels like that it just feels like uh it's it's such a frustrating movie because it's so inherent. It is so inherently interesting. There are so many things you can explore about it and it feels like he never really goes in any particular direction. except at the last minute when he realizes, Oh shoot, I need to try and be profound. What can I do? Uh, And then it's too little too late. So yeah, six, nine, the saga of Danny Hernandez thumbs down. I say,
1: all right, so now we're on to most overrated movie uh, of the year. My pick, and uh, of all the things on my list, there is zero. This is the least hesitation. I did not have to hem and haw about most overrated movie of the year uh, because it's promising young woman.
0: Um, I'm glad uh, you picked it. I assumed you would pick it, which is why I didn't. But that was probably okay. going to be mine.
1: Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's uh, it's such a. In, uh, insultingly superficial movie to to me, um, at least in terms of. I, I every time I say this about it, I, I make sure to point out there are things in the filmmaking that I like about the movie, and there are um, yes. there's a it's a cast that I like, but I can't get past the um, uh, the, the the level of self satisfaction and the lack of curiosity in that screenplay. Um, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, I'll, 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 repeat what I say. It, it's just it, what I, what I've said b- before. It's just a movie that seems designed for you to, uh, agree with it. It's, uh, the, the comparison I made, uh, to, to comedians was the idea of clapter. that, uh, sure. it's, you know, it's, 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 it's more about winning, um, uh, approval through kind of pandering, um, uh, condescending, um, Uh, uh, patronizing means than um, doing what I think what I tend to, uh, you know, I don't want to prescribe what art should do, but what I tend to come to art for, which is seeing someone's, seeing truth through another person's uh, eyes this is not this is an this is an essay this is a medium uh post um uh, more more than it's a, a movie most of the time and uh um i felt uh i felt all the more insulted for it being about something that i am uh uh on the side of you know i, I like i'm not uh, you know if 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 a movie this dumb and intellectually uh flaccid were made about uh like a if it were like a pro-trump movie <laughs> or something that would be like it would be like well yeah of course <laughs> or whatever but it, it's more upsetting to me that it's that that it's a uh, 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 about an issue that i that i take seriously
0: yeah and it's one of those things where like I feel I feel like it doesn't bring anything new to the conversation, like at all. Uh, and it's a conversation that is that is I feel like ever evolving. And so this should have been a movie that that is like, oh, this is a, a, a an interesting point. Like that, this is a movie like being actively made about this, and uh, let's all pay attention to it. And certainly a lot of people did. But yeah, when it when you boil it down, like, yeah, what what new is it bringing uh, you know and really nothing and what um, and and it's not uh, again i'm
1: just repeating what i said already in different words but it, there's there's no challenge it's it's not yeah. challenging yeah. to to the audience um which i think when i first heard about the movie in very like broad strokes uh, you know and the movie kind of I don't want to I feel like I don't know if I can assume everyone's seen it at, at this part at this point. But the movie makes implications about what it is that she does when she goes out at night that we quickly learn aren't what they are. Right. If they had been that like, hey, maybe the movie could have still been pretty dumb, but it right. there would have been more of a challenge
0: in in, in that. I feel like they're because that is an obvious thing. And then what it is, is a little bit toothless. There had to have been something in the middle. I can't think what it would be, but there has to have been like a happy medium because if it wound up being what it, what it's suggesting, that's like, okay, yeah, it's, this is a slightly higher brow, like seventies rape, revenge porn. Uh, okay. uh, you know what I mean? Rape but, revenge. um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, when I say porn, I mean, like, you know, just there are so many like of those movies. Yeah. yeah exploitation. Um, but anyway. Uh, OK, so my overrated movie uh, was, of course, going to be Promising Young Woman. Um, how could it not be? But uh, but knowing that you are going to that you're going to pick, I picked something else. A movie that unfortunately, David, I, I know you like, but this is the nature of overrated. I don't think this is a movie without merit, uh, but Rada Blank's the 40 year old version is a movie that I think is very beautifully shot, not merely because it's black and white, not merely because it's film, but the way that it's used, I think is very striking. Uh, I think she is clearly talented as a rapper more than an actress, in my opinion. Um, And I really like what it delves into in the concept of, of what to use the term porn, poverty porn, the idea that if you are an African-American artist, that the only way you're going to get any kind of funding or any kind of support is if you play into, uh, the uh, certain cultural conversations that also happen to be extremely stereotypical, um, that all of that is extremely, you know, very much in the movie's favor. Um, but I think the, the, as I mentioned, I don't think she's the strongest performer. And also from a screenwriting standpoint, certainly from a comedy standpoint, I think it's really, there's really not much there. And then as far as just the way everything is structured, you uh, I forget what you were boy, uh, I don't remember if this was, uh, Oh no, you were talking, you, you were saying tax collector. I don't remember if you were talking about Voyagers or tax collector. Yeah. This, this feels
1: that was the African other one, Regina, yeah. which we already recorded. Yeah. Tonight. Uh,
0: stay tuned for, uh, the worst movie of 2021, uh, a year from now, uh, less than a year from now. Um, but this, this feels like the kind of, the kind of script that a young person that is like 16 or 17 year old will write where it's about them, and no one really understands them, and there's and like the person's flaws are kind of perfunctorily presented, whereas their strengths are made all the more uh, prominent by the fact that no one seems to appreciate them um, and then having this big like pronouncement there at the end and and all of that uh it just it just really it's one of those situations where if, if the movie were not as universally praised as it was, I probably would have thought it was fine, you know, but because like I went in first off expecting to laugh a lot Uh, and then also expecting it to be like this really profound thing. It's like, it's profound in so far as I'm glad she has a voice and I'm glad she has the opportunity to express her experience. Uh, And again, there are certain aspects to it that are really striking, but overall it just never quite, got me the way i again thought it would because i saw it a lot i saw it later than a lot of other people did
1: yeah I, i'll agree with you on the comedy thing it's not really that funny a movie i'm not sure sh- i'm not sure what i'm missing when people describe it uh, yeah. as such but as far as what i did like well, and also i as we say every time it comes up i hate the title uh, yeah it's a terrible yeah, title down. for a movie the name of the movie i like having seen the movie the name of the movie should have been fyov because four year old sure. version is just one of like one of the multiple things that FYOV stands for in in the movie that that mm-hmm. that acronym comes up in a number of different ways, including yeah. my favorite fuck you old vulture, <laughs> fuck you old vultures <laughs> about when she's talking about the sort of like, uh, white backers of the Broadway, uh, play. Uh, but anyway, it should have been called FYOV. That's not the point, but I'll say what I did like about it. And it actually kind of ties into uh, it comes from the same place as one of the things you didn't like about it. We were talking about it, how it feels like it came from a 16 or 17 year old. I feel like that. Yes, it could be seen as a bit of, uh, uh, immaturity but i also saw it as a sort of there's a recklessness and an energy to it because of that uh be, because of where it's where it's coming from that i that i liked it really did feel like a, a a throwback to an era of american independent film where it was just like uh i've got uh an idea and a camera and let's go out and and and, and do this and i so i i liked the movie's energy
0: It does. It definitely does have that feel. And, and I know what you mean. Uh, There is, there's an excitement to it. Uh, And I do think I, I always feel bad when I talk about a person's acting ability. And I think that there's enough with Rada Blank as a film performer that she will get better. But here, I think that crackling energy is often undercut by her performance. Uh, I feel like her sense of especially with comedy, I feel like her sense of timing is never quite never quite matches up with what the film is like in a way. It's just like, I know this is your movie, but I almost wish someone else had played this character. But then the other person might not have been able to pull the wrap off, which obviously is an important thing. So, yeah, it's uh, that's my that's my overrated.
1: All right, so we're on to my underrated. Now, this one wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much as in, uh, a reflexive pick as my as my overrated but going back and reading my review of this movie uh before other reviews had had come out or at least before i'd read other reviews um i described it as destined to be misunderstood so obviously i knew sure uh something from from the the beginning so my pick for most most underrated movie of the year is antonio campos the devil all the time um not for the uh, uh, the the squeamish or, or, or faint of heart, and that's exactly the kind of thing that I was like. People aren't going to get. Um, people are going to think this movie is um, dumb and showy and um, and uh, what's what I'm looking for. Not uh, uh, like morbid, like. Uh, um, Sturman Sturman drawn to use that uh Ooh, nice But I, I can't remember what the uh uh like English language word to describe that would be. But um uh because it's it's southern Gothic or again, as I pointed out my view, my review technically Appalachian Gothic. It doesn't take place in the South, it takes place in like eastern Ohio. Um but um uh it reminded me oh. of what what I felt when I watched The Devil All the Time is uh Tyler, there's a a band or a one man uh, band uh, uh, a a a folk black metal band from Kentucky called Panopticon that mixes okay um, mixes black metal with like bluegrass type type music and um, it's almost sad that Antonio Campos didn't get Panopticon to do the, the score for the devil all the time, because they seem to be coming from very similar uh, places where um, there's not. uh, Yeah. The, the movie is very, very bloody and has a um, is it comes face to face with uh, the, the worst aspects of, of humanity and does so many times over more than two hours. Um, But it also is a very beautiful movie, very darkly beautiful. That's kind of what Southern Gothic is. Uh, is one of the things that Southern Gothic is, is about um, uh, in this case, this is very specific. I've, I took this to be very specifically a movie about the way that re- religion and the violence of the American psyche entangle and twist into something that is, um often horrifying, but also often sublime at the same time, or at least to the people committing the acts uh, uh, these, these these violent acts, you know the the, uh, the idea of um, someone say letting a rattlesnake bite them, Right. As part of a, 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 a Christian ceremony, or in this case, oh yeah, you shouldn't. I forgot. You shouldn't watch this because uh, Harry Millen's character uh, <laughs> uh, does spiders, not snakes. Yeah, um, yeah. So there, I heard there are that. lots of there are there are spiders. Um, that that sort of thing, that sort of visiting pain and violence on your own flesh, it maybe doesn't take too much to turn that into to turn that the other way around, to turn that outward into. Uh, hurt other people in some kind of what y- what this the 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 perpetrator thinks as a sort of righteous cleansing sure. uh act um and there's a lot of that in this movie there's a lot of very um uh dark upsetting stuff but there's also a fantastic cast um i can't even uh, i'm gonna forget people but uh tom holland is it's it's i mean it's mostly an ensemble piece, but Tom Holland is the star is the main character. If you want to have one, but there's also Mia of Robert Pattinson, um, both from damsel, but they don't share any scenes in this movie. Uh, I mentioned Harry Melling, Sebastian Stan, Jason Clark, Riley Keough. I'm sure I'm leaving, uh, people off. There's a, uh, Oh, um, the new Pennywise, uh, bill, bill Skarsgård. Yes. Is that right? Bill? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he, he, he's in it. Um, Uh, I'll, uh, to, to, to kind of, um, this is something that happens right at the beginning. Two scenes that happen right at the beginning that I described in my review that, um, that I think give a sense of what this movie is about. In one scene, and, like picturesque postcard, small town America, a diner waitress in the fifties or forties, I guess, cause it's during world war two uh, in the forties uh, is working. Uh, a homeless man comes into the diner and the owner of the restaurant is like, get out of here, you know, quit bothering my customers. And she is like, I'm going to take a quick smoke break. And she sneaks some food out of the back and gives some food to this uh, homeless person, an act of charity. Right. And the uh, 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 next scene, you see some american soldiers in world war ii who come across a i guess a prisoner of war who has been tortured and abandoned and is still alive even though his the skin's been flayed off of his 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 body and uh and it's and it's horrifying and so our main character um uh bill skarsgård actually um shoots the man in the head right again it's an act of charity Right. these are the, the the this is the sort of uh, scope of, of, of the movie and it's often very um, very up, upsetting um, you maybe will feel some hate for some of the characters uh, at, at sometimes but but the movie is not uh, in any way uh, judging them it, it, it sees the um, it sees the beauty that they see without uh, signing off on it, without co-signing it hmm. um, yeah. So if you have the stomach for the devil all the time um, and you don't have Tyler's arachnophobia,
0: I would recommend watching it. I'll probably still watch it at this point. Like, uh, you know, you just kind of take the good with the bad. Uh, every once in a while, you have to watch uh, Enemy and uh, just see spiders of all kinds. Um, but uh, yeah. even though I didn't really like Enemy. Um, OK, so here's the deal. This is something that happens with us every once in a while. Um, first off, I will say that this is this is the, the selection that is most hurt by my not seeing very many movies. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that this ha- this happens every year. There is a movie that is actually lauded kind of by everybody except the people we know right uh, and, yeah. and people you know uh online critics of a certain generation whatever it is um so when i say oh aaron sorkin's the trial of the chicago seven is underrated you know the movie the nominated for best picture and won the sag award for ensemble it's being rated fine by a lot of people but people uh you know of our ilk um yeah no i know exactly what you
1: what, yeah. what you you mean um because uh uh i wrote about this in our in our book by our book by our oh book, yes um in writing about la la land uh which mm-hmm. i wrote the entry on la la land
0: uh, uh, <laughs> i don't i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: i'm gonna it, try uh, and work work uh, yeah.
0: this back around and just uh, yeah. gaslight everybody
1: um i wrote about how weird of it like a movie that like made a ton of money and got nominated for every award under the sun that i always feel like i have to uh defend i always have to come from a position of defending la la land but yeah Yeah. in the mainstream people love la la land but a lot of the people that we know um were part of the la la land backlash but anyway yes. so you uh liked trial of the chicago 7 a a little bit more than most of our friends
0: yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. And it's one of the, and like, when I look at people's, uh, uh, reaction to it, it seems to be just so wrapped up in the time in which it came out, which is to say, you know, the end of the, 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 the Trump administration, but it clearly was informed by that. The idea of, of standing up against the, the, the government and, and the importance of, uh, free speech and freedom to protest and all that sort of thing. Um, and, he, and it so it tells this story from our past, uh, and to talk about our present. It's Aaron Sorkin, so it's not going to be as hard-edged as I think a lot of people probably wanted it to be. And I would ag- I would agree with that. Um, that's uh, you know that said, I do think that there's some really great acting, um, and just a really good ensemble in general. And I think there are. I, ha- I have major issues with the ending at the very least from a structural standpoint, because it's just, it's set up so obviously. Um, but also I, I do like the structure of it. I actually think it's a very well edited film, the way that it incorporates uh, you know, the the chaos of a protest in the moment to, you know, it, it compares that with like, in retrospect, looking back and trying to make any kind of sense of it at all. Uh, So I think it's, it's a pretty well put together movie, a fairly well written movie. It's that Aaron Sorkin dialogue, which, you know, is kind of highfalutin at times, but I think the cast does a good job of grounding it. Um, And I think it, 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 you know, it takes these, these two protesters, uh, Abby Hoffman and I want to say Tom Hayden. Thomas Hayden church. Thomas Hayden church. That's it. Yes. A young Thomas Hayden church. Uh, they did a, a digital de-aging uh, situation. <laughs> um, but uh, so, cause I was going to say, is it Tom Hagen? It's like, no, wait, no, that's, is that, that's Robert. So it is Tom Hayden. Okay. Um, so you have these two guys, they both have the same goals, but they go about their protests in a very different way. And, both of them seem to they seem to be angry with one another one is seen as a little bit more of a sellout one is seen as a little bit more chaotic and unfocused and there is a scene that i think works very well for me where it argue where they are arguing back and forth and eventually you come to realize that you kind of need both you need a certain level of organization while also being willing to go outside of that and beyond that. Um, and again, it's within a movie that as is often the case with Aaron Sorkin's work, especially his cinematic work, it feels tidy and neat and summed up and I think that's something that people uh, have a problem with especially in the in the modern era which is understandable but I still think it's a pretty solid it's a pre- pretty solid movie that it nonetheless doesn't really give you any surprises cuz it's Aaron Sorkin and you know what that means but it's in my opinion it is miles ahead of Molly's game which I believe I put as my uh my uh, overrated film of 2017 or whatever year that came out. Um, this is definitely better than that. And I think it's, I think it's worth watching. And, uh, and it may not, it may be a little bit more toothless than a lot of political commentary these days, but it's still pretty solid.
1: All right. So we're into honor- honorable mentions. Yes. Um, and here's where we, um, we might be stepping on each of those toes a little bit. So if one comes up, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. I think there's going to be say a fair that, amount of overlap. Okay. Uh, I say that because my first honorable mention might come up later on your list. That's Lee Isaac Chung's Minari. It will come up in just a moment. Yes. Okay. Um, Oh yeah. We do honorable mentions on a wall at once. Yes. That's right. Yes. <clears throat> so, um, vamp for a second.
0: Okay. Let's see here. I'm terrible at vamping. Good
1: job. Um, <laughs> I just needed to take some water or drink some yeah. water. Cause I'm going to be talking for a little bit. Um, I don't mention that maybe would have been if it weren't so high on my list would have been my most underrated movie of the year, but Thomas bazookas, let him go. Uh, I, I, I just don't get why if it was a marketing thing, I don't get why this movie hasn't been glommed onto by people who love good movies the way that the, the, the way that we do. Um, it, it's, it's, a it, it's a, a sort of, i guess neo-western it, it, it takes place in the late 50s early 60s um but in the uh sort of i kid dakota's montana that sort of uh, area um uh, uh countryside so it still has a very western uh feel um it's got uh diane lane who i feel like film people love um sure. kevin costner who is really um uh Aged into, you know, he had. We, I feel like we talked to this before, but Kevin Costner had obviously his like heyday when he was like young and hot. And then uh, it sort of, he was always around, but then I feel like a few years ago he came back uh, because he had uh, once again reached an age where he's. Uh, um, uh, he's a perfect fit, uh, for, for certain roles. And, uh, uh, so Kevin Costner has become uh, a character actor that I really like seeing on, on, on film now. So you've got, uh, you, have got those two, you've got Les Manville, you've, uh, got beautiful, uh, cinematography and you've got, uh, a, a movie that is a, um, meditation on morning and how people, uh again i feel like I, I said this with devil all the time uh I'll, I'll, I'll say something about this when we get to minari and other movies um uh um down the list but movies that are about the american character in ways that can be critical but also very uh, loving and warm and understanding mm-hmm. um i i think let them let go is a is a movie about uh mourning among people who maybe don't aren't that super in touch with their feelings. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of uh, the whole premise of the movie that they're going um, to try and get their convince their daughter, the daughter-in-law who married their now deceased son to leave her second husband and come back with their grandchild um, is really just a way for them to mourn their son without having to actually like talk about uh, their, their son. Um, I'm repeating what I said in our individual achievements episode. Um, uh, so instead, I'll I'll turn to uh, Thomas Bazooka's direction, and not just how, um, uh, how 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 lovely the movie looks and how it moves at a very graceful uh, uh, pace, but also his facility with actors, because everyone in this movie is great, not just the big name stars at the top. I mentioned Kevin Costner and Diane Landlis and Manville. You also got Jeffrey Donovan and Kaylee Carter um, uh, from, from uh, private life uh, in, in the movie, but everyone who pops up, you know, just the, the guy who works at the Western wear store or the, uh, the cop who comes to the hospital and everyone who has uh, a single scene seems just perfectly cast and uh, perfectly directed to not break Thomas Bazooka's spell of this um, uh, the the 1960s mourning um, uh, characters mourning their son but also people in this time frame mourning the West as it as, as it was and, and uh, already by this point wasn't anymore hmm. do you know what I mean yeah yeah All right. Uh, That was too much time on on Let Him Go. Um, So my next honorable mention is Amy Simons' She Dies Tomorrow, um, which is a horror movie, I guess. Uh, It's more a sense of existential dread about uh, a character and eventually multiple characters who become convinced without a single shred of doubt that they are going to die tomorrow. Is that true? We don't know, but they know it for sure they do not doubt that they are going to die uh, the next day and um they uh all behave in uh in in, in different ways um m- most of them are um understandable i think but some of them are kind of funny <laughs> um the movie, yeah i mean amy science like i said this is a horror movie but amy Science has a background in comedy she's very funny it shows in this movie the movie is uh often uh uh, often quite funny and, and absurd there's a part where um caitlin Shyle, the main character the she of the title um has decided in the middle of the night to go like uh out to the desert and rent a dune buggy to drive around the desert because what the hell she's going to die the next day so sure. the guy who worked at a dune buggy place that she's like woken up um <laughs> she tells him why she's doing this because she's going to die tomorrow and he just goes uh it's like for a long time there's no idea what to say um uh but but also the movie is not uh afraid uh to delve in to sit in to sink down into the 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 fear and dread and not just the dread of not existing anymore but the dread of like what have i uh looking back of what have i done so far like is this is any of this uh worth it there's uh um the 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 movie is uh um uh it it has a uh there's got to be a way a a non-hackneyed way of saying tone poem um i feel like the the modern like millennial way to say is like it's a mood but i don't really talk like that um either (laughs) Uh, so i'm not sure what else to what else to 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 say uh, about it except that it's uh um yeah it's a immersively experiential all right i've talked too long are you talking too long about these movies um next up another uh hip uh american indie uh, from from this year um oh oh rats um i forgot the director's name uh, fiddlesticks uh lawrence michael levine's black bear um, I'm, re-
0: I'm really enjoying this uh, uh... <laughs> this ned flanders version of david Bax. yeah
1: um, so Black Bear is a movie that stars, uh, uh, that's main three, uh, actors are, uh, all great, uh, actors, Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott, and, uh, Sarah Gadon from the aforementioned Enemy. Um, uh, and as far as what, the, I don't really want to tell you the story of what the movie is about because it's a movie that maybe has, I brought it up as a possible contender, when Aaron Neuwirth was on, we were talking about anthology anthology movies. Cause mm-hmm. there's a, the, the, the sort of superficial read on this movie is that it's multiple stories. I think there's, I have an idea of what else might, might, "Quote unquote," actually, be going on, but this isn't a Christian Nolan movie. There is no like legend that unlocks like ah, like it's all up to your interpretation of, of uh, who actually is who, what the black bear actually means, uh, and, and, and and whatnot. But uh, really, this is a, a movie about to me the way that an individual's actions, no matter no matter how uh, uh, they might be trying to keep them to themselves and make them about themselves, uh, uh an individual's actions have effects on other people. Um, Aubrey Plaza plays in the sort of, I guess, first story or main story or whatever you want to call it. Um, a writer, director, a filmmaker who has, uh, rented a, uh, cabin that's sort of uh in, in in the woods to like sort of work on her next project and christopher abbott and sarah get on play the couple who own the cabin and live in the house up the hill um and uh they're uh not in a happy marriage and Aubrey plaza's arrival doesn't make things better um but uh, so here she is this person who's tried to get away from it all and, and, uh, can't help, but, um, fuck things up for, for other people. And then there are other stories in the movie where the same actors play different characters, I I guess, who are, um, also trying to, or trying not to, uh, affect the lives of others with the way that they speak and talk. I, I, I can't talk too much about it. And also I've already gone on, uh, too long, but, uh, um, yeah, I'd say, uh, uh, a, a very sharply uh, uh, observed, um, challenging, unexpected movie that uh, goes that has a lot of comedy of discomfort, and then um, in the second half, which I won't really give away, a lot of just plain comedy. It's actually a, it, it becomes a surprisingly funny movie by the end. And then uh, I might be done here because my last honorable mention, the the number eleven slot on my list, is Lee Unnel's "The The Invisible Man." We will be talking about that later. We'll yes. Uh, okay, so uh, honorable mention time for Tyler.
0: All right. Uh, my first honorable mention is, I want to make sure I've got the the names, the name of the directors correct. J- Jason Loftus and Eric Peticelli's Ask No Questions. This is a documentary. And for those interested, I actually interviewed both of those guys uh, for Battleship Pretension uh, back in this uh, last spring. So uh, you can uh, check that out. Was it last spring? No, I guess it was. No, it was in the fall. That's right. That's right. Um, because fall I of twenty twenty. Fall of twenty twenty. Thank you. Yes. Um, and uh, the, it's about uh, the Chinese government uh, and its its uh, attempt attempts to discredit the uh, Falun Gong uh, uh, religious movement. Um, there was uh, an instance of self immolation by various Falun Gong uh, members, which made them look effectively very quite crazy, uh, to Chinese citizens who up until that point were relatively sympathetic to this, this movement. And then all of a sudden they weren't because, Oh, look at these crazy people. And so, uh, these director, but there, there was always a little bit of, uh, it was also always a little bit too convenient because self-immolation was never really part of the Falun Gong movement, And so, uh, the, the directors along with uh, various um, interview subjects and journalists delve into uh, the the video of this that was taken by like Chinese news organizations and they notice they're like hey certain things are very conveniently out of frame and the, and essentially explore the idea that this whole thing was staged Um in it, in its own way. So people, some people were still hurt, but that it, it was, it certainly was not Falun Gong. So they explore this and they really delve into it. And they, they look at the, the people that were possibly coerced into saying, yes, this is uh, this is something we did uh, or something that we uh, stood by. Uh, and then it finds the, the one guy who refused to say that and it explores like his treatment by the Chinese uh government it's a really interesting film it's a very interesting story and to me it's you know you and i were and our listeners like we're all movie people we all uh we all really love various forms of of media and uh for my money this is why the government should not be involved with media uh because eventually it just it 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 will treat it understands just like Soviet Russia and the 1920s. Like it understands the power of visuals and the idea that I
1: heard that in Soviet Russia, power understands you.
0: All right. That's not bad. Um, (laughs) What a documentary. That's all I have to say. Um, Okay. (laughs) I'm going to move on. It's a, it's a good film and I, and I, and it's very informative and very interesting. Uh, So the next movie For me is uh, Spike Lee's to five bloods, which everything that I was talking about with trial of the Chicago seven, which is it's a politically minded film uh, that feels very, very Aaron Sorkin, very nice and tidy and safe Defy Bloods is the exact opposite of that. It is a very messy movie structurally from a genre standpoint. Uh, there are times when it's, when I find it frustrating just as a movie um, it's a shotgun blast. Like it is, it's not always super focused. It's just this, this big scream. Uh, and so there are, there are entire sequences that don't really work for me, but when, when they do, And now, obviously, I adore Delroy Lindo's performance, but I like a lot. I enjoy a lot of the performances and the I like the way the members of the cast are interacting with each other. And I do really love just the even when Spike Lee makes a movie I don't like, I'm always I'm always i am always emotionally invigorated by it because just the way he makes movies he's just like always actively involved and whether it be with the camera or the editing or whatever it is and with this film it just there's just a real vitality to it the 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 messiness of it and the the elements that are that are in my opinion maybe underdeveloped or or maybe not fully cooked um that's what keeps it out of my top 10, but it, it's still just, I don't know. There's just something about, uh, about the way Spike Lee just approaches movie making as just an ex- a natural extension of himself that I really appreciate. And five bloods is, is uh, a great example of that.
1: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the genre thing. I think my, uh, I, I went in knowing very little about the story and I didn't realize the extent to which it was going to be essentially an action movie. And, um, uh, that, that was some of my least favorite stuff. I think the, the action parts. Yeah. When it, it, but I still really like the movie, but yeah.
0: Like when, when it's, when it's the drama between these characters and when it's dealing with stuff like landmines and all that, that's fine. And then in the last, yeah, like the last 30 minutes, just like, what the hell are you doing here? Spike? (laughs) You really didn't need to do this. Uh, but uh but anyway um okay so my uh my next one is uh thor freudenthal's words on bathroom walls a movie that i have sung the praises of since i first saw it uh, it is about a young man a young man played by charlie Plummer, who has schizophrenia he's a high school student he's trying to manage that well like just high school in general is very difficult you're you're constantly trying to manage people's perception of you while also trying to figure out who you are in the first place now add any kind of mental illness to that and there's going to be all kinds of stigma uh and so he's trying to essentially act natural and play that down while still struggling with it uh it is and and also uh juggling like romantic feelings for another another classmate it is it's every bit as as because of the the uh, the audience that it's going for, which is a high school audience, it's going to be it speaks in very broad terms. Just I, I've compared it to Love Simon in that in that way. Like Love Simon explores like this character's sexuality. This explores this character's mental illness. Both things that again could be could have a huge stigma uh, in a high school situation. And so you have these characters playing this down while also trying to figure out what uh, to what degree this defines them and so um but words on bathroom walls, partially because of just like my own issues with with mental illness um words on bathroom walls is a film that just despite its sort of mainstream and and broad like hollywood uh tropes it really rings true to me and uh and it's a film that was if it weren't in my if it were not in my, uh, honorable mentions, it absolutely would have been the, the underrated, not because it was poorly rated, but because it was like underreported, like very few people talk about it. And that is unfortunate because it's got a great cast on top of everything else. Uh, it does it as Charlie Plummer, it has Molly Parker, Walton Goggins, Andy Garcia, Anna Sophia, Rob, uh, from, uh, what was it? Uh, Bridge to Terabithia, right? Oh, right. Um, Beth, the always wonderful Beth Grant. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's definitely worth seeing next up for me. I don't think we're going to be touching on it very long here is Sophia Coppola's on the rocks. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Okay. And then, uh, my number 11 is Lee Isaac Chung's Minari, a movie that just, oh, okay. just barely didn't make the top 10. Cause I really, really, Love it. It is a very humanistic tale about a very American story. Uh, This is something you've said before and something that, that certainly has been said, which is like, yeah, when people talk about the American dream, they do often talk about like immigrants and and just like coming here and starting with nothing. But like, what does it look like to start from nothing? (laughs) You see Minari and you're like, Oh, okay. That, that is what it looks like where, and just the idea of like, as you know my 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 people which is to say conservatives talk a lot about bootstraps and and all that which is very easy to say and they talk about like you got you got to work hard and sure enough this character does work hard but this is a film that really understands like the hard work isn't merely the sweat there's the emotional part there's the doubt there's the there's the domestic Uh, aspect of things where you are trying to take care of people you're you're trying to take care of your family uh, and maybe they don't they're not totally on board with what you're doing like he is taking a risk he took he takes his family the seemingly character takes his family out of a safe a safe uh, or risk-free environment that admittedly was going nowhere but at least there weren't they weren't risking anything whereas now they're risking everything and Uh, and that's what it, that's what it takes. Like when people talk about the work required to make the American dream work, it's like, yes, that's officially true. But every once in a while, I think it never, I think it doesn't hurt to look at what that is. Like any number of us would look at, would absolutely sympathize with his wife and say, you should give this up while we still have anything. Um, and that really works for me. I, I I like that his, it's the story of like, you would never, as I said, when I first saw it, like you would never put these things together of like this Korean family that just speaks predominantly speaks Korean uh, in Arkansas. And you would think that like the it would turn into like a fish out of water, crocodile Dundee-esque comedy, or it would be all about the bigotry of these white rednecks. And it's not about any of that. Uh, there are moments, but the film has such a humanistic approach to everyone involved uh, that I just I just really fell in love with it. it's not necessarily an easy movie to watch and yet somehow it is because you just feel like you're part of this family and you kind of pick up on the dynamics quickly enough that uh yeah you're just totally on board with what they're with what they're dealing with
1: and it is um it is funny at times uh it is at uh, times yes funny uh you 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 touched on pretty much everything i was going to say so i'll just point out uh that this movie like nomadland i said this about nomadland on the patreon patreon.com slash battleship Retention. um in terms of v- uh, visual americana mm-hmm. it uh it's a beautiful vision of what uh, uh rural america looks like that's not distancing or condescending or othering or it doesn't right. look like a uh you know uh, uh, a poster you hang on the wall with like a inspirational right. phrase under it it, it it actually looks tactile and real, right. but it also is, is gorgeous. It's a, a beautiful vi- vision of uh, America. There's a reason, there's a reason they call Arkansas the natural state. I feel like people who aren't, people who haven't been to Arkansas, um, maybe have an idea of it, uh, as, um, just sort of, uh, interchangeable with other like sou- Southern, uh, states, but, um, Arkansas is a truly beautiful place.
0: Uh, it really is. And I'm sure I've said this before, but uh, I remember when I moved to Southern Missouri from Colorado and I was astonished at how many people in Southern Missouri looked down on Arkansas. Partially because part of me is just like, what do you think other people think of you? <laughs> like, what, like yeah. as someone who came from Colorado, what do you think? I, when I told people we were moving to Southern Missouri specifically, what did you think people react? How do you think people reacted? Very much well, the same way. That they
1: said, "Well, it's it could be worse. It could be moving to <laughs> exactly. northern Arkansas."
0: Yeah. Oh, they nailed, Yeah, absolutely. Those southern Missourians are nailing it. Uh, okay. Top ten right. time, David. Actually, before we get started, you mentioned. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, talking about Nomad Land on, on the Patreon. I will say that this week. The Patreon is me, David and Scott going through the BP's winners. Uh, it's about an hour and 20 minutes long and it is available to Patreon subscribers. What I will say is if you're not quite, you know, if you're not eager to pay the five to ten dollars, this is one that I have made available to the swabby level, which is two dollars a month. Uh, you yeah, get one episode of Tyler's choosing every month. Yes. So that's, and, and this month, Tyler has chosen, uh, the BP ceremony, uh, because I figured that's one that that people in general would be interested in. So if you wanted to try out Patreon, uh, this is definitely the one to try it on. Uh, if you want to just dip your toe in the water at the swabby level, you would get the BP ceremony. It's an hour 20. So, uh, yeah, just putting that out there. If you're, if you're really just throwing yourself full on into end of year stuff, in mid april <laughs> then uh yeah. then that's a way to do it anyway oscar fever exactly or you know spirit award fever after fever oh man uh-huh. david i know we don't have time but whew, this uh this awards draft is heating up between first the and second place which yeah. is me and scott okay. yeah
1: oh, that, oh that's fun okay yeah. um Alright, uh, so now we're, we're into it We're doing our, our top 10 now Let's do it uh, I will start, and I will start with Garrett Bradley's Time um, The first of Spoiler, what will be a somewhat documentary a Surprisingly documentary Heavy top 10 list for me hmm. Time is um, uh, You know, I've, I've talked about it Someone recently on the Movie Journal um, uh, It's it's a, a Movie that follows a, a, a Woman who is uh, attempting to get her husband resentenced after he was sentenced to 60 years in prison without parole at the point of the movie. He's already served 20 uh, years for an uh, armed robbery. Um, But uh, I'll, I'll I'll talk about the movie by, and by talking about what it's not (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, there's a certain type of documentary that I really increasingly more and more don't like, which is a documentary that already knows what it's getting at. And sure. the documentary was made to approve that point, to, to teach that lesson. Um, uh, I, I'm increasingly sick of, of those. That's not what time is. Time is, is, uh, is curious. We're learning and we're seeing right along with Garrett Bradley as, as she's following, uh, this woman and her six children, uh, who just want their, uh, uh husband and father, um, uh, back after 20 years a- a- away from, from the family. Um, she's getting to know her as we, as we're getting to know her. Um, she's, uh, there's, there's no, uh, judgment it wouldn't even cross the movie's mind to be judgmental and it's all done with this sort of um loosely structured impressionistic uh, um uh backdrop with uh, twinkly piano music and and uh interspersed with the new footage that garrett bradley shot there's a lot of home video uh footage that's it's all um uh very uh uh there's a lyricism i think to 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 the movie a poetry to
0: the way it unfolds that's time by Garrett bradley all right well david don't get too comfortable okay because my number 10 is steve mcqueen's lovers rock okay yeah we'll get right. back to that
1: later so um next up for me oh sugar snaps i forgot to look up the uh, director again uh, <laughs> my uh my, my next movie yeah I, a weird year obviously 2020 was a weird year but it yeah. resulted in uh, a handful of documentaries being on my list which doesn't happen and an animated movie being on my top 10 oh, list right. which uh almost never happens but uh I, I gotta give it up to tom moore and, Ro- and ross stewart's wolf walkers um I'm not sure why this one made my list when secret of Kells and song of the sea didn't maybe it's just a, uh, a, being a, a thinner herd. I don't know that I actually think it's better than those movies. Mm. It's of a, of a piece with, 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 with those movies. Um, and it's, uh, uh, a, 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 a testament to, you know, we, there's a, a, a corny phrase that people who like, uh, movies in a, charmingly superficial way like to use which is movie magic but uh these movies this sort of uh trilogy of of uh lovely irish folklore um uh movies aimed at uh children of all ages uh tyler um uh, actually is about is about magic and um it's a it 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 feels magical because it also feels so empirical, so grounded and so real and, and tactile. It's a, uh, these are 2d hand-drawn animation. You can actually see, you know, when, when the wolves are prowling around, you can actually see the sort of like uh, the way that people who know how to draw, which I'm bad at um, just draw like the circle as a head and, and then like add the, oh, uh, neat. There, are, there, are, there are hints of, you can still see that circle underneath the, oh. the wolf's uh, uh, skull. Um, uh, the, the movie, um, I'm reminded of something that, uh, Chris Ware said, uh, Chris Ware, the cartoonist, uh, I saw him say, uh, at Comic-Con, the last Comic-Con that I was at in person, anyone was at in person in 2019, um, he talked about how comics, um, too often try to emulate the movies and that a flat Mm. image can do more, more things. And I feel like even though Wolf Walker is very much a movie, uh, Tom Moore and Ross Stewart are kind of trying to say, well, what can we do with animation that, uh, that that isn't trying to emulate a movie camera? Right. Um, And that's how you get, uh, you know the uh, when you're in the woods outside the town in in wolfwalkers the town which is at the bottom of the hill is actually you're looking at, at a, a birds eye view of it as a backdrop so it doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like the city in inception, like t- tilting up on itself, but that's just the way that they let you know that's the town at the bottom of the hill. And you can see it all happening, even though it's not actually how it would look from the hill. And then at the end, when the army is marching into the, the woods, the, uh, camera, it doesn't just go to split screen. It's like a triptych of three different moving images that each have their own like green foresty border. There's a, mm. uh, it's, it's 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 very beautiful and also i um not that i'm here to shill for apple tv plus which is the only way you can i think see it uh right now but if you have a big uhd hdr tv and you have apple tv plus it definitely helps um because this is a big gorgeous movie and it has it has an end that uh reaches a like I I think the good kind of melodrama at at the end, um, it's a big fiery ending. And obviously it reminded me maybe not in the same level of pathos, but it reminded me of the the end of toy story three. It's an animated movie in which that ends in a terrifying conflagration. Um, uh, And uh, it's, uh, it's overpowering and and, and stunning. And um, I often beat myself up for not uh, keeping up with animation outside of the mainstream and even then i don't actually watch all that all that much of it um and uh wolf walker served as a reminder to me this year that animation is cinema too
0: yeah um incidentally i do believe the Wolfwalkers is playing at uh lenley theaters and it's one that i actually was thinking of going to see because i feel like it would, oh, yeah. would look beautiful uh in, you, in the theater. you can
1: go see movies right, well, i can. guess anyone in los angeles can go see movies
0: but i'm sure sure
1: I'm not going until two weeks after my second dose That's very responsible of you. I appreciate that. Um, okay. So next up for me, I'm hoping hoping that French exit is still at the Lemley by me by the time that happens, because it's not streaming anywhere and I really want to see it.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, the way that Lemley tends to work is like a movie will bounce around the various Lemley theaters for like a month and a half. Um, so yeah, if it's not at the one near you, give it time it'll probably be a one of the others uh soon enough um okay so next up for me is paul greengrass's news of the world which good movie didn't quite make my list but good movie yeah i i was surprised how much how much i liked it um i guess i shouldn't have been i like westerns by and large i like paul greengrass tom hanks um and i like the con i really like the the concept the idea that there is a a, a man who goes from town to town Reading and summarizing uh, what's in the newspaper. And I I think I really love the execution of that. Uh, Not merely the way it's written, not merely the way it is shot, but also the way it is performed by Tom Hanks, who I think uh, is doing some really solid work here. Um, And I do think that there's, it's really interesting when you think about it. Like, so many people understandably so uh have decried like modern news and that so often whether it be cnn or fox news or msnbc so much of what is referred to as news is heavily informed by opinion Um, and and if nothing else a certain level of showmanship you know and what news the world says is that like it's kind of making an argument sort of in favor of that. They're like, by all means, read the newspaper. Uh, if you you know, read the newspaper if you can, if you if you're able to read, if you have the time to read, that's fine. But you know, there are times when Tom Hanks's character, he doesn't so much editorialize, but he just focuses on on different on certain aspects of the story, depending on his audience. And in some cases, doing it specifically to as a form of, of rebellion against like what is going on in that town. And it really speaks to something that like, yes, I, I am frustrated by the concept of bias uh, in the news. And I feel like increasingly it's something that you just can't get away from. I feel like a lot of, I think I feel like a lot of journalists think of themselves as Edward R. Murrow uh, standing up to uh, Joe McCarthy and, um, but after a while, it's just like, OK, this is getting tiresome. But at the same time, there is something to be said for like the power of news, the power of the media as something that. Well, while, while sometimes seeming so. Potentially disposable, like that's the kind of thing that people who have just taken that for granted for so long, that's the kind of thing they say, and this is a film that helps you by, by putting it in a different era and just putting you in the position of this character. Um, it gets you to realize how valuable media is, uh, how valuable art is. And the idea, you know, as, as we're talking about with something like documentary, which is attempting to document something, which is a very journalistic idea, but you can still, you, you can elevate that to art. Absolutely. Um, in order to make a, a positive difference in the world. And so while I'm not necessarily in favor of somebody actively incorporate like a, a, a news a reporter actively incorporating their own opinion into the story. Um, I do recognize that f- true objectivity is very difficult and that sometimes the news itself, it just, just on its face uh, is something that can make a difference. If you can just get it out to people, just get the information out to people. And that's to say nothing of the story with the, with the little girl that actually works really well for me. Like I, there are so many, I, I think uh, I didn't even see the midnight sky, but I remember when you were describing the midnight sky, the idea of like uh, a, a grizzled old man comes across like a child in need that Maybe the child doesn't talk. Maybe it speaks another language, whatever it is. Uh, I feel like we've seen that before. I feel like it's done very well here because there's a language barrier, but the two slowly but surely work that out. Uh, not to mention there's some really solid action in here as well. It's overall, it's just like a really sturdy, solid movie. And I really, uh, really appreciated it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you kept, uh, you're talking about editorialism. When you keep using the word story. A lot of what he does is not necessarily editorialized, just, you yeah he doesn't just tell you what happened. He tells you a story. Yes. Um, and I think there's, uh, obviously there's a certain, um, I guess meta level to, uh, a filmmaker, uh, making a, telling a story about the power of stories. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I tend to enjoy that. All right. So we're on to my number, uh, eight eight yes and uh here we go documentary time once again
0: david thank uh, my- you so much i'm so honored uh <laughs> that you would incorporate <laughs> my documentary i mean look it was a good year for documentaries that goes without saying but i really wasn't expecting this david i do appreciate it not quite as high as i would have liked but top 10 <laughs> not bad <laughs>
1: All right now my number eight uh is michael dweck and gregory kershaw's the truffle hunters um dweck and kershaw a few a couple of years ago made a documentary called the last race uh, which was about a uh, privately owned um uh, stock car track on long island um, that uh, was much beloved by locals but was closing because uh uh, the land was just worth too much and it was too hard to, to keep up. Uh, you would think that a movie about uh, men in Northern Italy who um, search the, the woods uh, for truffles that they then sell to uh, people who sell them onto the truffle market and where truffles are a uh, 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 hot commodity, very, uh, very expensive. You'd think that would be a very different type of movie than the last race, but you've still got a movie about basically in both cases, you have a movie about older working class people soldiering on in a way of life that is dying. Um, And uh, again, you wouldn't think in either case that that would be a recipe for a very fun and funny movie, but both the last race and the travel hunters are often very funny. Um, There's a, there's a, a deep, um, love of the people there's also very much an awareness that to an outsider outside observer this is all very silly that these men like they 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 make their living by walking on the woods in the middle of the night with a dog who smells things and uh, digs them up and then they sell them to uh they get all caked in mud and they sell them to men in very nice clothing who try to undercut them who then <laughs> moving into the truffle market where it is treated like a fine wine. And we see like at a truffle auction, a truffle, I don't know if you know what a truffle looks like. It looks like a misshapen potato. and yes, the yes. kind of a potato that would get tossed out um, in the gleaners and I, but um, so we see a truffle uh, at a truffle auction, like, placed on like a satin pillow and you've got like the, the auction workers before the auction opens, they're like fussing over like the placement of the wine bottle next to it. Like how does it look best? Um, and it's ridiculous to think that it came from these like, like hairy, like old men who uh, you can, you can smell, even though it's a movie, you can smell the unfiltered cigarette smoke uh, cl- <laughs> and, and pipe smoke clinging. To them. And it goes from this to this ridiculously rarefied air. There's a lot of comedy uh in that um but i'm burying the lead here because uh the truffle the 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 most welcoming audience i think for truffle hunters is not people who are into truffles it's people who are into dogs because i because the truffle hunters each one of them has multiple dogs that like do the sniffing for them and this is a dog movie if ever there was one and these men love their dogs like nobody's business. Um, and there are like almost like Deadwood style soliloquies to, uh, to <laughs> the to, to, to dogs that, that, that happen. Um, uh, there's, um, um, uh, there's also some, some sad stuff, uh, in both ways. There are dogs who die in the moon mm. because, because we found that the truffle market is so cutthroat that, it's, it's like so monstrous to contemplate, but if a person finds like, oh, there's good truffles in this area, they'll intentionally plant poison bait to oh. kill other, other hunters' dogs so they uh, uh, won't um, find the truffles in that area. So there are dogs who uh, are poisoned and, and die in, in the movie. I know, it's terrible. Um, and then there are also, these are old men. And so the opposite problem, some of them are like, I'm going to outlive my dog. And so there's one, there's a one part where there's an old man, like talking to his dog about like, who do you think should take care of you when I die? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a sweet movie. And the other thing I haven't talked about with uh, uh, Dweck and, and, and Kershaw is they, they take a lot of time uh, setting up the show. It's a documentary, but they are very uh, cognizant of, of framing and uh, they're, 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 uh, plenty of uh, stunning shots in in the the truffle hunters
0: so that's number eight for me unfortunately not,
1: a, it wasn't real redemption
0: uh, well i guess how many more documentaries do you have i, <laughs> I want to know how much hope i can i can hold out for
1: well i i either have two more or no more
0: depending on how you define documentary oh fun all right uh so next up for me uh David, maybe don't get too comfortable. I'm not sure. Is Charlie Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. Okay. All right. So next one
1: for me is I guess kind of a documentary, but this is the second year in a row. Last year I put Beyonce's homecoming on my top 10 list. Second year in a row, I'm putting a concert film of sorts on my top 10 list this time it's David Burns, American utopia, or I should mm. say Spike Lee's David Burns, American utopia. There you go. Um, so we're each talking about a different Spike Lee movie uh, today. And um, shouldn't be a surprise because it's in the name, but this is another one of the movie, w- one movies that I uh, w- was talking about today, uh, w- said I was going to talk about today, that feels very much American and very much about America. Um, because David Byrne, who is Scottish-born, um, uh, is became an American citizen in 2012 and almost immediately became what's now a very hot, hot topic, but he has been for the better part of a decade, uh, a voting rights advocate. Mm-hmm. And, um, there is uh, American Utopia. So it's a concert, but it's also a Broadway play. So it's like, it's like a concert that's the same every night. So like the in-between song banter is the same, I guess, in every performance, mm-hmm. but, uh, so there is one part that's very specifically about the uh, voting, but that's not the thing that I'm, that i'm talking about what i'm really talking about is david burns compassionate humanistic vision of of america and i think um uh spike Spike lee is the the uh, a very american director who's interested in telling stories about america uh, is the the right person to tell this story but i think there's something yes there are the things that david burns says but i think i felt more um got more power from the way that he designed the show and the way that Spike Lee shot it. Um the the American Utopia show starts out very like curated artist looking everything is sort of like separate. It, you know, everything's very clean. There are clean lines. There's a square room that they're in on the stage and then as the show goes on those lines continue to get blurred. The square room I'm talking about on the stage, the walls are just made of beads and musicians come and go through them and by the end of the uh movie when the the they play the last song by going down into the audience and and, and marching uh through the audience you realize this is a movie about this is david byrne's vision of america as a play well, what america can be an american utopia where um uh the 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 borders are uh, knocked down and people uh, commingle and, and celebrate the best about each other and what's common in in one another. And of course, it's all like David Byrne and Talking Heads music, which I'm right. uh, a sucker for. So um, uh, yeah, beautiful, very and very rousing movie. Uh, David Byrne's, Amer- Spike Lee's David Byrne's American Utopia. There we go. Um,
0: <clears throat> okay, next up for me is uh, Daniel Crudy and Bridget Savage Coles blow the man down. Um, uh, I, I feel like I'm not going to talk much about this because when we did, uh, individual achievements, I talked about the screenplay and I talked about Margaret Martindale. So, um, so I feel like I don't really have much else to say. Uh, the film obviously owes a lot to the Coen brothers tonally, uh, as far, and as far as like, uh, there's a crime element, there's a lot of, very quirky humor. Um, but I feel like you just get such a sense of place. I feel like it is such a, such a self-assured film as far as, uh, the way the town is shot, the way that it is conceived, you really do feel like you, you understand how this town operates and has operated for a long time. Uh, and it's surprising. I don't think of this as like an exposition heavy film and yet Thinking back, it's like, well, the whole reason that you understand that, like, oh, yes, of course, this town is run primarily by women because it is a it's a port town. And like for, and since it's beginning, like most of the men are like off at sea for long periods of time. And so already it's like that's a neat that's a neat idea. And to take certain noir elements and and crime elements and incorporated into that is something that is really, that is really fun for me. Uh, it, it, and it just kind of suggests that like, and I, I find it to be in its own way, a, an extremely American film as well, because you do have a, a quaint small town that is very, you know, picturesque and all that. And, You have like the, essentially the town elders being just these, just the nicest old women you've ever seen. And indeed they are that, and the town is that, but there is this undesirable element as well. That is a big part of how the town prospered at all. Um, And it's and it's hanging on and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. And it's I don't know, to me, it's it's I mean, I I did a more than one lesson episode about it, much to my surprise, because it really is about like, yes, in this case, it's about a town. You could also say it's about the country in general, but I think it could also be about an individual and this idea of like who you were, who you are, who you want to be, all of these things blending together and and sometimes at odds with each other and. Just kind of acknowledging and accepting the mistakes you've made, the the bad, the people that you've hurt, the bad things that you've done, as opposed to trying to erase that and act like it it never happened, because that's the only way I can seem respectable. And it's just like, well, that's that may not necessarily be true, and in fact, you might seem so much less respectable the more you try to hide your humanity, the the more you try to hide your frailty, and the idea that there's all that that I came away thinking about that in the midst of this very quirky, often very funny, dark crime drama. Um, it, I don't know. It's, I, I perhaps I'm reading in, perhaps I'm reading into it, but I, I don't think so. I feel like obviously when you're dealing with noir elements, you're going to be talking about the past. You're going to be talking about, uh, you know, an undesirable element, like hanging on and all that sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, in the midst of it, just telling the story of, of all of these, these women, each of whom, you know, different ages, uh, different stations in life, and just all of them trying to figure out who they're going to be, who they want to be and where they're, where they've come from. It's just such a, it's such a fascinating movie and one that I really was not expecting uh, to think about as much as I have since I watched it
1: all right um yeah i like that movie too but i saw it in 2019 um yeah so uh, by my specific rules uh was not eligible all right so my final documentary or maybe truffle owners my final documentary depending on how you uh uh define documentary um bill and turner ross's bloody nose empty pockets. Sure. Which is a, um, on its face is a documentary about the last night of a, uh, a, a dive bar in Las Vegas, um, before, before it's closing and, and all the, the regulars are hanging out and for, you know, for the last time at their favorite bar and uh, having a, a little mini, uh, party. Um, when the Ross's, uh, uh, and you can, if you want to see why it's not a documentary, you can look it up. I've talked about it too much um, if, if you don't know. Um, I've, there's no way, obviously, the Rosses could have known when they set out to make a movie about the camaraderie of a bar just how bittersweet that movie would be Mm. when it came out in the summer of 2020. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I I mean, uh, uh, as much as I'm a movie guy and I miss movie theaters, bars are what I miss the absolute most. Bars are the things, the the thing that I most can't wait to get back to Um, because it uh, if it's a, The right one, if it's like a a local like this, a watering hole, a dive, you know, um, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a kind of level playing field. Um, uh, There's, there's, uh, I, I guess it's because people of different, not necessarily different backgrounds, but disagreements generally until the, you know, until you're, Blood alcohol level gets too high. But there you <laughs> go. <laughs> generally are... Uh, anything else, I guess, is secondary to the task at hand, which is having a drink. So uh, uh, that sort of becomes like the <laughs> distraction of the pacifier until, again, it becomes the other thing, which we see in this movie, too, um, that, uh, allow, that brings people to the same wavelength. And uh, Bloody Nose Empty Pockets um, gets that while not romanticizing it. The movie is definitely not a romantic, uh, look at the type of people who spend all day at a bar. It's, um, not, um, in denial by the fact that some of these people are, uh, probably, uh, serious, seriously ill alcoholics. Um, but there's also, uh, an undeniable, uh, humanity. And maybe I'm like, like I was saying, I'm just more susceptible to, stories like this at a time when i'm not around i've been around other people uh, except for my wife for over a year now for any uh, considerable amount of time um uh but um i don't uh normally like the company of many other people but uh, uh a bar uh, the right bar the right kind of bar is is the exception in, in bloody nose empty pockets uh absolutely felt like it was a movie that was made for me and uh i loved and hated that i had to experience it um when i did it gave me a taste of what i was missing and also reminded me that i wasn't going to have that for a long time and here we are i mean this movie came out in july um and here here we are uh, uh god nine months later and i still haven't been to a bar
0: you'll get there it's it's coming soon
1: I will. I also miss, for similar reasons. I very much miss public tra- transportation. Sure. I, like. I, I can't wait to get on a bus or train again. Um, maybe on the, maybe I, on the way home from
0: the bar. There you go. Uh, in fact, I would probably be the responsible thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, diners for me, obviously, as you know, I'm a big fan of Denny's, but not just Denny's like any, there are a lot of nice diners in, uh, in Los Angeles and, yeah. And the other day I was helping somebody with uh, their script and uh, we'd both, I believe, yeah, we'd both been vaccinated and restaurants had just opened up. So it's like, do you do you want to go to Denny's? <laughs> and, so, and we went and you know what, David? Oh, it, And I, yeah. I was like, I haven't been inside of Denny's and yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know how
1: long. And it was just like, you're like the lady from the Maria Bamford, bit except it's Denny's instead of Quiznos.
0: <laughs> we could go you to Quiznos. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> that's a good bit uh okay, okay so next up for me is uh i have a lot of i guess by your rules a lot of 2019s in here uh and this next one is an australian it, it an australian movie that came out in, in australia in 2019 uh but here in 2020 it is mira folks judy and punch uh, a movie that it would appear only i have seen uh <laughs> based on the number of people talking about it which again is just me um But uh, it it looked like I I got sent a a screening uh, screener uh, link and I was like, yeah, sure, this looks interesting. And it just it's just a it's just a crazy movie. And I'm not totally sure what it's about in a in a purely thematic uh, way, but. Um, although I do think that there's definitely an element uh, you, you could look at it from a, a certain feminist uh, standpoint, which is the idea uh, of the the uh, punch character played by Damon Harriman um, being just so self-absorbed, so defined by his work and just assuming that like whatever he wants to do is his wife is just going to have to to live with uh, his wife played by uh, Mia Vashikowska and. And even though he un, he undoubtedly loves her, he he definitely loves himself more, and he loves his 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 job more. He loves his work more. Um, and I think I think an argument could be made that the film is also about uh, people who are sort of monsters in the in the name of art. Um, so there there is some stuff to definitely delve into. But I think the thing that I just love is how how willing mira folks is to just go wherever she wants to go um with the story uh it is a it's a comedy it's a horror it's a drama it's a suspense it's all of these things and it's and it's a period piece it's like this medieval uh it's this medieval uh story and uh, i was looking at the uh the summary on on letterboxd and uh and i was reminded that the it takes place in this small very backwards town called seaside it is not near any ocean uh or any sea or anything like that um and they regularly burn people as witches and just kind of sort of as a shrug of like yeah sure why not um and And it's just, yeah, it's just like this hodgepodge of ideas, but in a way that I, that I just love it's just so bold and it's just gonna, it, it, it unapologetically is going to be what it wants to be. And if it's, I I said this when we first, uh, talk, I think when I, when I first talked about, and I think when we talked about like our, our favorite of 2020, like halfway through the year, um, yeah, it's a movie where a character openly quotes gladiator. Uh, and it's, a, and it's a quote that, you know, from gladiator, it's a quote I know from gladiator. It's, it's like maybe the most well-known quote from gladiator. Uh, well, and they just do it. Cause it's, it's funny. Cause we all recognize what he's doing, what's happening here. And I just like that they do that. Uh, it's, I, I, I can't guarantee that people will like it if they, if they watch it, but I just, I just enjoyed it. It was such a pleasant surprise, even when it was not always pleasant. There is some some rough stuff in there, but I just really, uh, I just appreciate the level of, I'm not even sure if ambition is the word, but just the level of of uh, commitment to the, the Mirror Folk shows to just herself and her own opinion of what this movie should be. And uh, yeah, I really... I really love it.
1: All right. We're halfway through the list. We're to number five. five. Number five for me is Eliza Hitman's Never Rarely Sometimes Always. All right. Uh a movie I uh Eliza Hitman's previous film, Beach Rats, I um had not been over the moon uh, about. Uh I thought it was um very, very beautiful and and um uh she's uh reunited with the same cinematographer here uh whose name is helena something i can't remember her last name it starts with an l i think anyway um but i thought that a lot of beach rats was things that you get that i you could actually accuse and i've seen uh never sometimes never rarely sometimes always also uh, accused of this but i thought beach rats was largely kind of uh there's like some poverty porn, some miserabilism, sure. um, and, 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 stuff like that. Um, and, um, I, I think the difference here is that with Sidney Flanagan and Talia Ryder's characters, um, there's, there's some, there's some hope behind all the, all of the, the pain Um, it's a very painful thing that they're uh, going through. Not just um, um, there's obviously uh, physical and emotional turmoil um, wrapped up in, in uh, getting an abortion, but just the physical difficulty uh, that they have to go through to, to get to where they are going to uh, have the procedure done um, there. The, the, the movie definitely could risk uh, wallowing in 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 that pain, but I think there's a the, there's a there's a hope um, that I think is not a it's not sappy. Um, it it's just uh, I'll use the word that seems to be coming up with all the movies I'm talking about today that I think maybe just says more about where my brain is in the year 2020. But it's just so human and and mm-hmm. humane um that uh hope isn't it's uh uh hope isn't naive i guess is what i'm saying right and and never are they sometimes always is a movie that that gets that um uh, it, it also um is a movie that says a lot with very little there's very little dialogue again that's a legitimate criticism. I've heard about it. The criticism my wife had of the movie, uh, which is just like, if these two cousins are so close, why don't they fucking just talk to each other more? Mm. Um, uh, but, um, uh, I, I do think there's a, uh, there's a, the lack of dialogue in the movie allows the imagery to be more than just, um, uh, finding beauty in, in the mundane. It can also, um, uh, eke out the, the emotions that aren't being Vocalized Anyway, uh, great movie Great performances by the main uh, the, the two leads Sydney uh, Flanagan is the lead Telly writer is the main supporting actress But as I talked about in the individual achievements Also, uh, Theodore Pellerin uh, is, is very good in the movie as well That's my number five
0: My number five Is an animated movie It is Dan Scanlon's Onward Oh two pixar movies came out in 2020 everybody talked about soul soul is a perfectly fine film uh occasional really beautiful uh visuals and some really great music of course and it just totally eclipsed onward and i don't understand why well, I mean, I guess I do understand why, because, because much like inside out soul is, is more like ethereal and, and kind of deals in, in concepts. Whereas onward, uh, some people, but also, were, sorry, to interrupt,
1: but also I think the pandemic kind of eclipsed, on, eclipsed onward because it came I, that, out on March 6th.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I went to see those, that might've been the last press screening I went to with Jen at the El Capitan. And, uh, and yeah. And so I think that that's probably a big part of it as well. Yes. Um, but, uh, well, what's more is like when, when I would talk to people that did see it, they'd be like, no, yeah, it was good. And I'd be like, why did your voice go up so high? What's going on here? <laughs> um, because it's, I mean, it's, I think that I think it actually suffers from some of its visual design, not because it's bad, but because If you look at still frames of it, it looks like, I'm sorry to put it this way, you know, I I don't mean to stand up for one studio over another. It looks like a DreamWorks movie. And by and large, even though Pixar, I think, has lost a few steps over the years, people still just for whatever, not for whatever reason, but for various reasons, put Pixar way above DreamWorks. Um, And so for Onward to kind of have that DreamWorks look to it, uh, I think people look at it that way. Meanwhile, the story itself is about as Pixar as you can get. Um, It involves uh, stuff that obviously like pushed as a certain button for me because it's these two brothers who've lost their father and they have the opportunity to like bring their father back for a day and one of them has never really met him uh and it's but it's it's also a world of like elves and wizards and various magical creatures and so there's this interesting subplot that like there are all these magical creatures but none of them do anything magical because just after a while, technology just became easier, so they all just live like we do, except they can do these astonishing things that they just never think to so it 's like all right that's a little funny already uh and it is and the way that uh character the way these characters, as they embark on their quest, they kind of inspire pe- other people to Uh, expect more of themselves and that's definitely a subplot and i'm still trying uh, after all this time i'm still trying to work on how that plays into uh the primary story but uh you know as these two brothers and i don't want to spoil it but as these two brothers are like striving to like spend time with their father and make this thing work uh they're also bonding with each other and there is this this feeling. And it's something that if you, you know, when you are grieving uh, or when you've lost somebody, maybe you're not even in the grief process anymore, but like when you've lost somebody, there is this tendency to focus so much on what's gone and understandably so that you, that you fail to recognize that you, you might have something pretty great still, you know, and, and that is ultimately what the film is about. Uh, there are also some really wonderful action sequences, uh, some, uh, some really gorgeous visuals and some genuinely like suspenseful moments. And so, uh, you know, if you, if, if you heard that onward was good, not great, like second tier Pixar, I disagree completely. I think it's everything it's, it may not be finding Nemo, but then what is, um, but it's i mean it's up there for me i think it's it's everything that you that we've come to that that we remember pixar as being and and uh yeah in my view it's it it blows soul out of the water
1: all right um i gotta see that um it sounds like it would be would speak to me too oh yes. um Number four for me, um, the only movie I saw at Sundance that I liked more than Never Really Sometimes Always, and it stayed that way for the entire year, is Sean Durkin's The Nest. All right, the movie uh, starring Jude Law and Carrie Coon, um, in which at uh, the big, Jude Law is uh, not doing a he's 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 living in America at the beginning, but he's doing uh, he's he's English like he okay. is in, in real life. Uh, Carrie Coon is his American wife um they're they seem to be somewhat successful based on what we see of their house in the early 1980s um but he gets a new gig back home in london and convinces carrie coon to um uproot uh her life and their children's lives and and move um to london where he's gotten this apparently very well playing paying new gig he's rented them essentially like a castle to to live in like it's a a, uh an enormous house and they're living the, the, the high life. Um, but, uh, the reason that the number one reason the nest spoke so much to me is because it does a thing that I love. I have an absolute, uh, uh soft spot for movies that aren't really horror movies, but that adapt, adopt a horror aesthetic. We'll
0: be talking uh, about that a little bit later too. Oh,
1: good. Um, so the, the nest is um, essentially a haunted house movie, in the terms, in the way that it's shot, the way that it feels, mm-hmm. the way that it it, it moves, um, and there are some maybe uh, things that actually brush up to actually being kind of creepy um, that that happen in the movie. But uh, really, to be uh, reductive about it, uh, what's haunting this family in this house is not a ghost; it's lies. It's that there are a lot of lies that. Um, uh, things that are not being spoken uh, uh, about in 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 this family, and and uh, that's what what's making everything feel so uh, portentous all the time. Um, but it's also uh, great performances by by Jude Law and and Carrie Coon. Great score. Um, I've forgotten um, the uh, the name of the composer. I'm not gonna have time to look it up right now. But great. Uh, Great score and uh beautiful shots of uh nineteen uh, eighties London and the nineteen eighties uh English countryside. Um and it's got a, a horse in it. Horses are always very cinematic. Uh they are and can sometimes beautiful. be terrifying. Yeah. Horses snakes too. Snakes are also scary and very cinematic. Sure. Oh,
0: absolutely. Uh I would say yeah. Hmm feel like there's an episode to be. i feel like we've done an episode on animals before but i feel like we haven't done an episode about like animals that are uniquely cinematic um or yeah just, i guess it depends
1: like uh, um, it depends on the aspect ratio like a sure. snake is good for scope yeah but if you've got a, a like an old-timey uh, academy aspect ratio maybe a giraffe you
0: know? sure sure yeah or or just like a turtle uh from above um okay so uh <laughs> that's pretty dumb what i just said uh okay like so that. next up for me my number four is chloe zhao's nomadland um a, a movie that uh, i've already talked so much about it i feel like i don't want to say very much um except that uh so many of these movies uh that we've been talking about are are about um uh, about america and often about those who are in some cases sidelined and in other cases you know i wouldn't say that that like the the family in minari i wouldn't say that they are on the fringes or anything like that like society has forced them out uh they like the characters in Nomad land are doing their own thing and uh the the characters from Nomad land i like that they are they're living sort of the way i was thinking about it recently is they're living in open rebellion against just sort of this, the the standard mainstream way of life. But it's not overt rebellion. Like, it's very rare for them to, in the film to, like, look at those who just choose to live in a house in the suburbs or whatever and be like, ah, those, uh, you know, those sheep. Like, they're not doing anything like that. And just they, they really are just living their own lives. And they're still part of this community while all still being just very much self-contained and I just love as I as I've said countless times when when discussing it but like I just love Chloe Zhao's approach to this choice the the choice that these characters have made and her approach to every level of it their choice, their outlook, their their uh relationship to each other, their relationship to the outside world, their relationship to work, their relationship to play. Like it feels like it is just so it's all encompassing this film and you don't even totally realize it in the moment. It it has this it's it's more of a, you know, you were saying like terms you don't want to you don't want to use like I was going to say the film is more of a vibe than a story, uh, but even vibe sounds a little bit too uh, energetic. That's still better than mood, which is over. Okay. Yeah. It's you you really get a sense. It just, it just inundates you. uh, You're just inundated with this world and understanding it uh, from top to bottom and just kind of, you just let it envelop you and there are so many hurdles uh or so many uh potential pitfalls um with this material, and I feel like she avoids pretty much all of them uh in regards to like talking about society or railing about society and oddly enough, as sometimes happens when you avoid those pitfalls you wound up you wind up making more of a statement about society than if you actually steered into that and uh and and just maybe not society, but just about America in general and uh yeah, it's a film that uh, that is a little bit haunting and has really stayed with me
1: uh all right yeah I've, i I mentioned some things about Nomadland earlier, so um no need to it at the point. oh, good, you're back. um by the way, I didn't tell you I could hear you the entire time, but your your image froze up very early oh. on in uh, your Nomadland discussion. oh God was just like you making a very emphatic point like uh, <laughs> gesturing um you could hear me the whole time I, uh, I could hear you the entire time okay but your face was not moving it was like watching pound puppies um if you watched that when you were a kid i did not um, <laughs> but okay. now i will have to
0: look up what you mean
1: well it was like in my head it was a cartoon but then like i will go back and realize like oh it was just like a series of still images with like when when one dog would talk it would just be like
0: oh, oh yes a
1: picture of that dog and you'd hear it talking okay um, got it all right so that was your, your number three. My number three is Charlie Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things.
0: Yeah. yeah. Speaking um, of movies that are not strictly speaking horror, but boy, they sure feel like it.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, there's some, um, some definitely some creepiness, some foreboding. Um, but also, uh, you know, foreboding is, a, there's a fear to it, but there's also a sadness. There's a, oh, yeah. a big sadness to, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, of ending things. Um, but, uh, it's, it's also a movie that's a, um, I think, uh, sympathy for the kind of person who doesn't often get sympathy and maybe even, uh, uh rightfully so at, at, at times, like, um, but what I'm saying here is me, this is another movie that I don't want to like talk too much about. What's what, what, I what's know. happening? It's uh, uh, yeah, but um, uh, Jesse Plemons character is let's just say he can be difficult, and there are times that uh, that I'm frustrated with him. That I don't blame Jesse Buckley for wanting to end things, which uh, right. is she she starts off wanting to end things. It's I'm thinking of ending things is literally the first line in the, in the movie, as I recall, yeah. it's been a while since I've seen it, but, um, um, I, I think at a time when, um, there are, God, I'm going to feel like, ai am going to sound like a, uh, right wing radio host or something, but, um, I'll, I'll, let are, you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how, how far you can go. There too many people who are willing to judge a movie based on the uh, politics or morality of its main character—that that's that—that's what a movie a movie should reflect. Good politics is the is the oh, sure. um, uh, the the read on things, and I and and I think that's um, uh, a. Reductive to the point of useless way of looking at art. Um, and, uh, it's not that Jesse Clemens character is a monster or anything. Right. But, um, this is a movie in which a man is regarding a, a woman, the woman that he's with ostensibly. Again, I don't want to go into what's really going on. Um, in, uh, in the ways that she reflects him in the ways that she can be the best partner to him, that, um, the, um, the question of who actually is the lead in the movie, I think it's Jesse Plemons, but, um, that also gets into the things that happen by the end of the movie. I feel I don't like you can't talk. say anything yeah, about this movie. About, yeah. Uh, uh, about it. But, um, uh, and I forgot now where I was going w- with that, but uh, there's a lot of sympathy for for Jesse Buckley's character, but she still is the the movie only sees her through his eyes, and I think that I understand why that would be seen as reinforcing um, uh, uh, long-held tenets of. Uh, storytelling, storytelling by male storytellers. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that, that, uh, it's not worth telling Jesse Warren's story. It's not worth exploring what's going on in just because this man is a sad man who maybe doesn't, uh, or at least we don't get to see him thinking of a woman as another human being. Um, there's a worth in exploring where that comes from and what kind of person uh, leads that, that sad life without condemning him. I think the movie does by uh, being so sympathetic to Jesse Buffy's character um, does not endorse um, the way that Jesse plans sees her or sees who she is i don't whatever (laughs) maybe i have to dance around but um uh, but uh i guess getting into the psychology of the kind of men that um you probably would dismiss in everyday life uh it's not the same as endorsing everything about them i don't know did i sound
0: like a right-wing radio host No, I don't think so. Uh, but then what do I know? Uh, I don't listen to them. Um, uh, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, this is the kind of movie that two people, you and I, uh, can go into. We both love it. Um, and yet we come away with very different things. Now I can't go fully into, what I come away with and shame on Charlie Kaufman for that. Uh, Because, because this, this film, it's a character study to a point. We may not, it may not be the character you think on a multi, on multiple levels, but it is also, I mean, Charlie Kaufman, whether as a writer or a director is always interested in storytelling Uh, and not merely the storytelling he's doing, but the stories that the people within his movies are telling, it could be a story they're telling themselves. It could be a story they're telling the public. Uh, it could be a story they're telling another person, but it's all very internal. And I, I really appreciate how much he, how willing he is to be completely subjective and mirror the the thought process of connecting with another person and the and the insecurity that can come with that and the constant like I I am somebody who I don't think I'm necessarily like Jesse Playman's character uh but I think he's somebody who's constantly trying to navigate uh, his relationship and say he's trying to like sort of stand up for himself to a certain extent, not even stand up for himself, but but uh, uh, express his opinion while also willing to concede maybe too quickly because he is definitely, I think afraid of losing Jesse Buckley. There's a, a lot going on with his character and that constant pivot is something that the film itself does um, in, in the way that the story unfolds. And I just love how, like this is a film I could see people getting furious at, which is uh, understandable, but at the same time, it's, it's so intellectually and emotionally invigorating, even when it's scary because navigating relationships, navigating, uh, interaction and navigating a story, uh, again, even if it's a story you're telling yourself or whatever, um, can be treacherous. It can be scary. So it feel it has that feel to it while also being tremendously sad and mournful. And what I love and one of the things that I love and I'll, I'll hold I'll, I'll try not to be specific is that the title of the film is certainly the first the first line of the film, but it might be it might also be the, the final sentiment of the film, though it is not said. And uh, it's just such a it's the movie is everything that I, everything movie movies can be, you know what I mean? Like when people, it's something that, that I have have embraced more and more is that film is not inherently a storytelling medium. It often is that, but that's, that's not the natural, that's not the automatic state of it. And Charlie Kaufman, like with this and Key New York, I actually never saw Anomalisa um, that he He's willing to go where the where his mind goes, and just trust that film as a medium can can transport him and the audience to that place. And it's such a such a fascinating, such an invigorating movie.
1: All right, I think we're on to your number three, then, right?
0: Uh, yes, my number three. Yeah, my number three is uh, Lee Winnell's *The Invisible Man*. Um, we've, you know, certainly we've talked so much about this. I've been talking about it since I, since I saw it back in back on my birthday, February 25th in 2020. Uh, and then you saw it recently. I don't have much else to, to say, except that it is just such a wonderful existential expression of fear, like this is one of the most stressful movies you will ever see. Like there are some horror movies that make you scream and you get a, you get a nice sense of catharsis from that. Then you get something like this, which is saying like the dread you're feeling, the terror you're feeling, you're right to feel it and it will never go away. And in that regard, what a perfect, what a perfect opportunity to talk about toxic relationships, you know? And and so, but, and if it were just the, the, the suspenseful moments, which obviously are, are a big part of it, um, that would be one thing. But it's also this wonderful, heartbreaking performance by Elizabeth Moss. It's also beautifully shot and, and for, for maximum paranoia, uh, with, you know, uh, something that I, I feel like I, don't talk about enough with the film is understandably it's sound design is, is wonderful. Like the way some things are incredibly soft while other things are, are deafening as they should be. Um, But yeah, from the first, from the first frame of this movie, it is like, you're just like, you're just tense the whole time but in in the best possible way like it puts you so deep inside this woman's experience that you don't want to be there but I'm happy that I am there like Jen and I after seeing the movie we we went out to uh, to dinner and we were just so fascinated by the film and then she was talking about like listening to this podcast about stalking uh, about like stalking victims and stuff like that. And how it just, it, it, their stalker would always find them and and it literally was a living hell. And that is what this is. And this is maybe this is, you know, it's a science fiction horror way of dealing with it, but this emotional feeling is a very real one that a lot of people live with every day, all day for Maybe most of their lives, and what just—it's something I say every once in a while. It's a miracle of a film that it got made this way, this thoroughly, and this completely.
1: Uh, you mentioned that it's shot for—I think you said—maximum paranoia, and that's true. But that's only one of the things that the film is good at. The the way that it's framed and the way that it's edited, um, Leowinell was in such control of what information you as a viewer have and don't have at any given moment, uh, uh visually based on, yeah. on where the camera is and, and when he cuts and what he cuts to. Um, uh, but it never feels like, uh, an experiment either. It's also, yeah. uh, shot and cut for maximum, uh, thrills, uh, mm-hmm. at, at the same time, the, the, the movie is, uh, you're talking about all these things that are, uh, painful and, and, and dark. And you said toxic and there's abuse, um, which makes it sound like it doesn't make it sound like the movie would also be
0: just a great time at the
1: movies, but it is, yeah. it's an absolute thrill.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't mean to suggest that you, this movie is going to hurt you, um, but it is, it's, it's just, you mentioned how, how much control he has and boy, that's absolutely right. Like this is just a completely dialed in, uh, fully realized film on, on every front. And it's a movie that I feel like, I feel like everybody would enjoy if they, as if they're willing to let themselves experience the difficulty uh of it uh, i feel like everybody would respond well to this movie
1: yeah i I did it was as i mentioned it was my number 11 just outside the top 10 um on to my number two movie of the year this one was also on your list and that's uh this is on your mentions list uh sophia coppola's on the rocks all
0: right which i watched uh yesterday
1: okay Um, which I just like uh, looking at my, um, list. I mean, I've had three in a row here, uh, never really, sometimes always the nest. And I'm thinking of any things that are, um, can be difficult. Um, on the rocks is not a difficult movie to watch. It's, uh, it's, it's very watchable. It's very funny. It's very chill. Um, but that's not the same as Sofia Coppola being, lackadaisical about her filmmaking uh, in right. a very different way than lee winnell or uh, um or maybe the same way but with a different feel she's also um, in complete control at, at all times of uh, of her movie the 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 way that it um goes from seeing from like taking on Bill Murray's character who could be kind of shambolic um, and, and devil may care. And the movie seems to be just like floating along on the, on the breeze uh, with him. But then something can happen where, you know, um, say someone opens a hotel room door and the person you're expecting to be there, isn't there or a different person is there. And it's suddenly a big emotional moment. And it's almost like, wait, we're, how did we, how did you do that? So how did we like, we were just having like this funny, like hangout m- movie, um, that took time to have Bill Murray sing like an entire song badly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then like, how did you keep this ball in the air to make me feel what I'm feeling now at, at, at this moment? It's, it's, uh, it's alchemy, uh, whatever, whatever she's doing. I don't, uh, I don't understand it, but I I love it and I, and I want more of it, uh, especially with as funny a cast as, as this, I mean, obviously, uh, Rashida Jones, uh, and Bill Murray have done plenty of comedy before. And, um, as we talked about a little bit on, uh, the Patreon this week, uh, Jenny Slate is also in the movie and is very funny.
0: (laughs) I, uh, knowing that she was nominated for uh, a BP for, um, uh, the bruce mcgill award i was like oh this will be interesting i was not expecting i was not prepared for what she was in the movie yeah. um
1: yeah and also I, you got uh marlon wayans i mean not that yeah. marlon wayans is a funny guy but um this is one of his like straight man roles essentially yeah he's, he's not funny in this movie so that's he not
0: isn't, uh, uh, against him yeah no it's not as though the character is meant to be funny and he just fails miserably um right yeah yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. This film is often quite fun. It is often quite funny, but it is often very uncomfortable, especially if you're a Bill Murray fan, like the way that, the way that Felix is written, like, I mean, he talks about women a lot and he talks about them in a, in a philosophical way and you really get the feeling like, yeah, I think he developed these philosophies so that he can do whatever he wants. Um, yeah.
1: These reverse engineered. Yes.
0: Uh, and, and, <laughs> And after a certain point, like there's, there's a real Lothario quality to him. And like, there are, there are moments where I'm like, th- he is making me uncomfortable. He's like, I didn't think, and, and you realize like, oh, the character is a little bit older because I, I'm sure there are men like this that are younger, but this really does feel like a Hugh Hefner, like <laughs> guy in a, in a smoking jacket kind of thing uh, that is, that has gone out of fashion, but he just through sheer, will and charm is able to make it vaguely uh, acceptable. Uh, I'm reminded of what people said about Jack Nicholson in As Good As It Gets. Obviously, I don't think he should have won best actor, but that character as written should not be likable at all. But it's jack nicholson who with his wonderful eyebrows and smile can get you laughing at something that you would find despicable uh just just the sheer uh boldness of of him as a performer and i feel like that's the same with bill murray and what i love is that when you look at the arc of rashida jones character and what she what she's dealing with right now as far as who she is her home life her relationship with her husband and this and this this little quest that she goes on to to find out what is going on. It's so interesting. Like, I'm not saying the movie is is this. But just picture this. On the Rocks is a domestic fight club. And Bill Murray is Tyler Durden. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but 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 he's but he's not someone like she created. It's literally like it, it's her baggage is everything that she's bringing with her to her marriage that she didn't ask for, but it's there in constantly insisting, constantly reminding the stuff that she has to try to get over. And it's just so damn charming. And it's something, you know, it's someone that she genuinely does love, but he brings all this stuff with him and she brings all that with her as she's going on this mission. Uh, and that's why, and I love, I mean, it's, it's, it's a somewhat of a, of a heavy handed metaphor, but it worked for me. Uh, that, that last shot, uh, that last scene with, with, switching out one gift for another uh and everything that that means metaphorically it really worked for me and it, and certainly the movie got me thinking about like what stuff am i bringing to my marriage to my relationships that is just constantly informing the things i do the things i don't do and all of that and uh so yes the film is charming it is funny and you realize that like it's that exact charm and humor that has allowed the Bill Murray character to get away with so much more than is acceptable uh, <laughs> in, in his life. Um, and that that ticket scene is just so much fun. Um, oh, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a really great movie. I liked it a lot. Um Okay, next for me, my uh number 2 movie and it was it's close between this and my number 1, but it is Andrew Patterson's The Vast of Night. Um a, a movie that just uh took me by surprise, took a lot of people by surprise. Uh you know, it's a director's uh, debut, I believe, feature debut. Um and he just comes up with this film that has a virtuosic feel to it it feels like a horror movie it's a wonderful sci-fi movie while also capturing like small town life uh while also being just a, a delightful as i've said this before a love letter to all media apparently uh you know like this is a movie that is essentially about a tv show about a radio station you know uh and just all of these things uh all these things interacting with each other to tell this really fun story, but tell it in a way that is not pulpy, but nor is it particularly obtuse either. It's not, we're not watching Solaris here. We're watching just these two characters investigate something um, in, in the, in the only way that they can. And so there is this kind of almost a Hardy boys feeling to it because these characters are not, in any way equipped to, to deal with this. And so uh, it just, it's such a fun movie, but it's also such a self-assured debut in which the it's it looks beautiful. I love the cinematography. I love the music. I think the, the art direction is really solid. Like, you know, you're, you don't spend that much time in too many places, uh, you're mostly in the radio station or the soundboard, uh, the, the, the operator board. Um, and you just get such a sense of place, especially when a character, you know, we were talking, um, again, I don't remember if it was in this or the movie journal, but we were talking about these long takes and, and that so that often that was this episode. They so often pull me out. This is a movie that has a couple of longer takes and, that and they i didn't even fully realize that they were long takes in the moment i was just pulled into the the situation and there's a moment where uh, a character is you know leaves a, a place that we are familiar with and then is like walking to a different part of the town um and the camera's just following her and you get a sense of like oh this is a small town um mm-hmm. The fact that we can walk from one de- from one place to a de- to a destination, um, uh, is is really uh, really gives you a sense of the scale, but uh, yeah, I just uh, really it's such a it sounds weird it's such a delightful movie and just such a Mm. a, such an it's such a throwback to things without ever feeling in my opinion overly nostalgic for those things it brings a real vitality and originality to all of it and mixes these very familiar elements in a way that makes it all feel very new and fresh
1: you mentioned i can't remember exactly how you phrased it but how it kind of took you by surprise when it came out uh i had the same experience i uh, even though it had played festivals, I'd heard the name. I didn't know what the movie was. was. I didn't know what it was about. And I think pre-pandemic, I want to say Josh or one of our contributors was supposed to go to a press screening mm, that got I think, yeah. that got canceled because of the pandemic. And then so when I got an email about, do you want a screening link? I was like, well, I guess we should have a review. We were going to see it. We were going to have yeah. a review anyway. I guess we'll have a review. I'll watch it. Uh, and had no idea what I was in for. Um, and was, was blown away all right so we're on to my number one film of the year tyler you know what it is by this point um i'm not sure if the listeners have deduced or or not but uh what if i said tenant right here how funny would that be (laughs) um no it is steve mcqueen's lovers rock um a a movie that has uh, i would say has uh, some major things in common with uh Bloody Nose Empty Pockets, and that it's a movie about uh, people, most of them strangers, um, some of them friends, uh, coming together and, and spending time together in a celebratory uh, way. But this is, there's a reason it's higher on, the, on my list. It's even more pure, if you will, than Bloody Nose em- Empty Pockets, because um, uh, there's more or at least it feels like there's more music than there is talking in the movie. And yeah. also I think it's very intentional. Stephen Queen's part that, um, the patois that they speak is not subtitled in, in this movie. There's, yeah. there's plenty of things that are in this movie that I, that I didn't get. Um, yeah. but, uh, that doesn't matter because it's, you get what's going on at all times because the people are relating to each other, through facial expressions and physicality and the way that you do when you're in a loud party where there's, or, or, or a club or, or someplace where there's uh, there's, there's, there's music playing. There's uh, a um, distilled uh, uh, I'm going to use the word again, but distilled the humanity um, uh, to, to the movie and a, uh, an electricity that courses, not just through the speakers and stuff, but through, the people, you know, you the 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 energy comes from the DJ onto the record through the turntable, turntable at the speakers, and then through the crowd and, and, and through the the and even the other, spills
0: outside uh, a little
1: bit. Uh, yeah, a, a, a little bit, but not too much because there are dangers outside. Correct. Uh, uh, that's what uh, um, we ha- I haven't talked about how this um, is a film. Uh, The small X films are uh, about race. They're about being uh, black and the black experience in in London, especially in the 60s, 70s, and and 80s. And um, uh, um, all the things that I'm talking about that I relate to about going to a party are heightened for these people for whom this this party in this house is a safe space in a place where there aren't as many as there are for someone like me. Um, and yeah, some of the glimpses we get of the outside, um, remind us of that without ever quite, you know, uh, harshing the buzz of the, uh, yeah. of, uh of, of the party. Um, so yeah, so, so much is the movie. I think says so much, uh, kind of like what I was saying with never sometimes always been in a very different way. It says so much without, relying on the characters actually saying things to each other
0: yeah i really loved this movie um it's it's my number 10 and i feel like if i were to watch it again which i feel like i could it's it's very much that kind of of movie first off it's not a very it's not a big time commitment but also like it just creates this event and it's an event that's so fun and so lively. You just want to be there and spend time there. And you can absolutely understand why these characters stay there all night long. Um, it, uh, it reminds me a lot of a Robert Altman movie. Like it's Hmm. whether it be like Gosford park or, or whatever, any, any time that like there's a group of people, And, you know, what you said where it's like there are times when you don't fully you you haven't heard all of the lines, whether it be you didn't understand them fully or maybe it's the audio mix in the case of something like Gosford Park, where you have this overlapping dialogue and you get more of a sense of the event and and you get a sense of like okay, I, I kind of feel like I know what that person's deal is. I know what that person's deal is. I have a sense of their relationship, but nothing is fully spelled out because that's not what the movie is about. It is about the event. It's about the community and what I love. And you mentioned it already, this idea that it's about it's about race and the difficulty uh, that that these characters have in, you know, outside of these walls, but what I like is that this isn't, it's not a support group. It's not like they all came together and be like, boy, it sure is hard, isn't it? No, like part of, part of being, you know, a, a member of a, of a specific group is that you can feel that you, you can feel so safe. When you're with other people that are like-minded or have a, a similar cultural touchstone, whatever it is, um, you can feel so safe that you don't ha- that you finally don't have to talk about the struggle. You don't have to think even in your own uh, think even about yourself in terms of what you're not or how you how you uh, uh, are different from other people. In this moment, you're not different. You're part of this community, and that's really what. It's that's really what it's all about. And so you get such a, such a sense of, of this world and man, and, and some of those musical sequences, that silly games thing, man, mm-hmm. like that thing, you know, you, you mentioned Bill Murray singing an entire song. I, we hear this song twice once the actual song is playing and then it's not, but they keep singing it. They sing it in it pretty much in its entirety and everybody knows the words like how interesting that the film ends with this, this uh, young woman going off to church. This feels like a church service. Like, Mm. you know, if you've been to a church service, like if, if somebody plays, you know, if somebody plays obviously like amazing grace, but if somebody plays it as well, everyone in the, everyone in the congregation knows the song because there's this thing that we've all agreed upon this this world that we're all a part of and this community that we're all a part of. And that's what this felt like to me. And that's what that sequence felt like to me. It's so beautiful. It brought tears to my eyes. I really, and as I talk about it now, I realize like, this is higher than number 10 for me. There's no question about it. Um, (laughs) It's it's such a vibrant, wonderful film. And as I said, when I first saw it, boy, did I not think Steve McQueen had this movie in him. There's not an ounce of dourness to it. Uh, And that is, and he is a director I think of as dour. It's funny that I, because I reviewed
1: the movies as they came out, the five small acts movies as they came out, which means I reviewed each one, not having seen the subsequent subsequent ones. So it's funny to realize in my Mangrove review, which was the first one that came out, I said, I called it the best movie of Steve McQueen's career. Little did I know <laughs> yeah. that I was one week away from, uh, uh, an even better movie. Yeah. What a wonderful All right. film. Uh, we're on to the final
0: movie. Yeah. You not number, number one of the year is Darius martyrs sound of metal uh a film that I had been hearing I mean it's it's been bouncing around for quite a while uh and I've been Thinking hearing about hearing it for about a while. this
1: movie literally my wife just finished watching it in the other room
0: oh that's fun uh <laughs> yeah I I you know, I knew what it was about and I was interested. I like Riz Ahmed as an actor. And so I was curious to see what he would do with, uh, with the material, but it's so much more than just one actor's performance. Certainly Especially, special, it's more than any actor's performance. Cause it's got a really good cast who all turn in really wonderful performances. Um, the, obviously the sound design understandably. So is marvelous. Like it just, it speaks. I was going to say volumes. Ugh. It speaks volumes about like, The how you can use every every aspect of filmmaking to create empathy for your main character like we are hearing like the film could still be effective if it had a a, a perfectly straightforward soundscape, you know, Uh, and we would still feel for this character, but we would feel for them. We wouldn't feel like them. You know, and we feel like him, like the stuff that we, when the sound goes out or when he does get the the implant and we we hear that distorted thing, it's like, this is not pleasant. I don't like hearing this. And and the film doesn't necessarily—we don't spend that much time inside that situation, just enough to understand what he is dealing with. And I just appreciate that so much. Uh, to say nothing of, I think it's a beautifully shot film. I love the way it's edited, um, and I just really—you know—the the word that that comes comes to mind. It's one that is actively said by the Paul Racy character. Is stillness that this is. Uh, A character, uh, the Riz Ahmed is a character who is is specifically does not stay still. He literally lives in a uh, a house that moves Uh, (laughs) as a drummer. He is constantly moving and and he's always looking to fix things because of his life as an addict. You kind of get the impression that stillness is not a great thing for him. Stillness will lead him to be like, hey, you know what I would like to do right now. But he has stillness foisted upon him. And what what do you do? And over the course of the film, you, he, he learns something that Paul Racy actively says, which is like, yes, we can't hear. We are, by all accounts, handicapped, but we can't think of it that way. In fact, if we try, we can see the beauty of this, which is we have access to a stillness that nobody else does. Yeah, they might cover their ears or whatever it is, but that's not it's it's not the same. Like and over the course of the film and 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 the, in the last sequence of the film you see him embrace the benefit of something that everybody certainly including him would have seen as a, a total detriment. Mm-hmm. And also in the end it's it's a film very much about identity and and how one defines oneself. And what happens when that is taken away? Who are you? If you don't have your job, if you don't have your talent, if you don't have your relationship, what are you left with? And it's a, that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to answer, you know? Um, and it's just such a beautiful movie that, that asks these, these existential questions, but asks them in a way that, sometimes are very straightforward. The Paul Racy character, because of who he is, does ask some of these questions very straightforwardly, but does so in a way uh, from a writing standpoint, from a performance standpoint, just feels completely organic. And it gets you or it got me thinking about like, okay, what are the things that I use to define myself? And if I'm being honest, like, almost all of the, pretty much all of those things can be taken away. Jen can be taken away. My kids can be taken away. My sight, my, my, uh, my uh, mobility, like all of this can be taken away. So what am I left with, you know? And, and incidentally, this is one of the movies that I was thinking of as I was watching, this was the uh, Kendrick film uh, overcomer, which is a, a Christian film that is not good. Um, I guess I, that goes without saying. Um, but like, as I was watching that, like that's a movie that's very much about like, Hey, you know, you can have all this stuff stripped away from you, but in the end you're in the, in that case faith, but it could also be your philosophy, your convictions, whatever it is like that can never actually be taken from you. And so maybe try to focus on that, you know, not that this other stuff is unimportant, but recognize, but if you use those other things to define yourself, then you are literally nothing if those go away in some capacity. And chances are, if you are defining yourself by those things, you're going to cling to them so much, you might actually drive them away. But anyway, uh, and so I do find myself like uh, when I'm at ICFF this year, I'm absolutely going to tell everyone like, hey, go see Sound of Metal if you want. Like, I'm sure you all saw Overcomer and you probably all liked it. You shouldn't go watch Sound of Metal. Um, (laughs) And it's just it's. it's a film that hit me on on every possible level, including a spiritual level, and uh, I just and I wasn't expecting it. you know that I think that's a big thing with like a lot of the movies, just increasingly, whether it be this year or in general, like as I get older, movies that are so much more than I expected and who knows where I even get my expectations uh, of certain movies, but it's what I felt about you know vast Night It's what I felt about in- the Invisible Man just like you go and you have uh, some idea of what they're going to be and they are just and even if you think they're going to be good when they wound up being so much better that they blow your concept of good of what they of the good they could have been they just blow that out of the water uh, that is what sound of metal is to me and uh, yeah I I love it so much it's such a marvelous film
1: well I'm not going to say any better than that uh, and we've been going for a very long time so uh, you can find us at battleship Uh Please comment with your favorite uh, movies of uh, 2020. I would love to hear, I'd uh, love to see th- see those. Um, email us at david at battleship or tyler at battleship pretension.com. Follow me, David, on Twitter at davy pretension. Um, also, check out my reviews of Vanquish and We Broke Up this week at the uh, website. Uh, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Tyler, do you have anything to plug?
0: Uh, I don't What I, I not like directly, but what I will say is, uh, I mentioned that I will be at this year's international Christian film festival, and I will be giving the lecture, but I, I was also told that, uh, my documentary real redemption, the rise of Christian cinema, despite being a 20, uh, 2020 film, it will be screened there out of competition. So if you oh, are, Uh, Yeah, I'm very, uh, very uh, honored that they would do that. And so um, if you live in that area and you uh, feel safe, then uh, by all means, come and uh, come and check it out.
1: All right. Well, uh, other than that, I guess. uh, Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time.
0: Bye. Bye.